all that little reference like you're listening to fox on the wire G'day folks and welcome to a very special episode of Fox on the Wire. Today we have a very special uh, very special Glenn, <laughs> very special guest, an old friend of mine who I haven't seen for a little while and he's going to help me out with today's episode with his expertise. Glenn, welcome to Fox on the Wire. Thanks man, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a, quite a remarkable time of the year when you think about it, you know, I'm 30 years old. That's it. Uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things that really makes you feel old too, knowing that it is 30 years old. It's, you know, being one of those albums, it makes you, it feels like it only come out a, a, just a couple of years ago. And and just the rawness of that album and, and, and everything, it's just such an unforgettable album that, you know, one of those few rare albums in the world that you can listen to right from the start to the very end of the album. Yeah, Glenn's obviously talking about uh, Vulgar Display of Power by Pantera, which has just turned 30 years old, released on February 25th, 1992. An unrelenting slab of precision riffs riffs, and cathartic energy, as explained by Loudwire. So, Glenn, for those uh, out there in podcast land who don't know you, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I've been into uh, music. All my life, pretty much, be honest. I'm going to be one of those people to say I was originally into pop music, mate. Love my pop music, Michael Jackson, all that sort Me of too. thing. Me too. And uh, and one day I remember in the early days of hearing, um, what was it? It was uh, Alice Cooper, Poison. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And that hit the charts. Yeah. And I thought, wow, look at this. I remember I was like, what about 10 or 11, I reckon I would have been. And I remember seeing a film clip for Poison. Mm-hmm. And before, you know, 10, 11-year-old boy watching that film clip is like, I'm, I'm liking this. This is, yeah. this is really, really good. And I started getting into it a bit more, a bit more. And then I, um, you know, Ugly Kid Joe come out. And that was, that was just, that was rocking and real, real ballsy, if I could say it. And, uh, you know, I started, I was one of those kids at school. I was like the, you know, didn't have many real introverts sort of kid at school. And, and you know, one day I come to school with, remember the old uh, Hot Metal magazines? Yeah, oh, Hot Metal. No, I don't hot remember metal. Hot Metal. So Hot Metal was an Australian heavy metal magazine. Mm. And, uh, you know, they had all your posters and all, you know, pretty much like um, Metal Hammer and all that, but the Australian yep. version. And you know that's where we get all our posters from. Being in the metal days, there weren't a, there was still a few, a few of the old ones around. Like you could get Hit Parader and you know Circus Magazine and and all that sort of thing. But Hot Metal was the Australian one. Mm. So if you wanted your your metal gossip or wanted to know what was coming out, that's where that's that was your go to pretty much. Because you think about it, back in the early nineties, we didn't we didn't have the internet then. We didn't have mm. Google. Yeah, we didn't, you know, we didn't have any of that stuff. So, you wanted to know if uh, someone was bringing out a new album, that was your go-to every month. Mm. Um, so yeah. Anyway, hot metal was just amazing. That's where we, you know, as I said, we'd find out a, a lot of our stuff. And you know, I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, 
music was music was everything, especially in the 90s. Music was a lot of the 90s kids' lives and, mm. you know, it got me, you know, after hearing Pantera for the first time and Metallica, you know, I was one of these kids that were constantly tapping all the time <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, mum used to go, go nuts. She used to crack the shit. People don't the like time. that shit. No, they don't. <laughs> I still don't. do it. And, and, you know, they don't. It's like you're just making noise to them. But yeah. in your head, you're, you're being creative. You're creating this music or just replicating something you've heard. But to them, it's just hearing... <laughs> and you just get the shut up all the time yeah. and go to your room and do that sh- shit. And it's like... <laughs> Crap. So then, you know, after a while, I'd, I'd got my first drum kit and stuff and learned to play drums. I had a, you know, a couple of years of drum lessons and got into a, a couple of little smaller bands and that sort of thing. Uh, Alpha State was one of those bands back in the day. Um, so I was the original drummer for Alpha State and, you know, they they ended up making a pretty big name for themselves in around Melbourne and that where we, you know, we'd be playing to, you know, a couple hundred people every show and that sort of thing, which is, you know, a pretty big thing to do back wow. in, back in the day. So how old were you at that stage? Uh, I would have been around, oh, mate, you're making me think here. Uh-huh. Um, probably around about 20, 21, 22. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was one of the bands I played. I also did a cover band for a little while. I think a lot of people will start playing covers and that when they first play. But Alpha State was my first original band that I got, you know, got into. And from then, it's been a few other cover bands, you know, um, playing all your big hits and that, just trying to earn a bit of an income, you know, a bit of extra money in the back pocket sort of thing, which is always good to have, you know, make that money and all that money you make goes into new gear all the time. You know, it's a never-ending Thing. It's like, it's probably one of my regrets, you know. It's like, as much as I love being a drummer, it's like, I wish I'd learned to play guitar. Oh, it's, really? Oh, so much cheaper. Okay, Dave Grohl. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it, but it yeah. really it really is, you know. Yeah. You've got your upkeep of of your skins all the time. You know, you go and buy a set of strings for your guitar, you're looking at 15, 20 bucks, 25, 30 at the max, you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, they've gone up fairly recently. Oh, have they? So, yeah. But that's all right. They're still cheaper than yeah, drum still, skins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you've got your sticks you've got to go and buy yeah. constantly. You know, you get two or three rehearsals out of a pair of sticks <laughs> and they snap all of a sudden. It's like, yeah. oh, man, I'm going to go buy another one. And you get a crack in the cymbal and then your cymbals are like, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars $500 a cymbal. So it definitely is cheaper to play guitar yeah. than, you know, once you once you set up for guitar. Mm. And the only you get... thing you guys have to deal with is your addiction to stop buying guitars. Which never ends. <laughs> well, well, that's right. So <laughs> That's my new one behind me, the, the Schecter. Yeah, it's real nice. I that. saw it really and fell lovely, in love. Lovely colour uh, in that one. Another thing with drummers, I guess, if you got sort of shitty bandmates, you left lugging all your stuff to oh, and from the car yeah. and from the venue or rehearsal. Don't I know that? <laughs> uh, like you know, I was never that guy. I always helped. Nah, that, that's good. You're, you're one of those one of those good guys, mate. A rare breed, mm. I call them. A rare breed. You know, it's always why it used to annoy the crap out of me all the time because I used to beat a drummer in Catwich as well. Oh yeah, uh, oh, I remember that now. Yeah, back in the day and. uh Kieran, he was he was an exceptional guy, really exceptional guy. But it was, he used to make me laugh all the time because you know he'd be in there two hours early setting up the drums and everything. Here comes Kieran walking in with his microphone in hand, pops on stage, puts it in, clips it in. He's done. Little sound check, and he was done. Yeah. <laughs> So much easier. He could fit that in his back pocket. Yeah, quite literally in yeah. the back pocket there. 
and it, it was all done. But um, yeah, you know, music is, is has been an exceptional part of my life. It really, it really still is. It's it's one of those things. Once once I don't know how how do you put it. It's like it's almost music. For my teenage years, anyway, music controlled my life. Mm. It really took me to places, really got my imagination flowing, really pulls out the creative side in you and really shows you a different lifestyle to what other people lived, especially back in the 90s where, you know, we'd just gone through that phase, that early 90s where we'd gone through that phase where heavy metal was was trying to be outlawed in some countries and that sort of thing because of mm. being bad influences and, and, and stuff like that. You know, we had all those issues with body count and, mm. and iced tea back in the day. And then, you know, Dee Snyder stuck up for, for heavy metal Yeah, um, when they tried to ban it. And, you know, this is where all these censorship laws started back with heavy mm. metal, why you see those, you know. These are parental, parental advisory. advisory, yeah, yeah, because of those those days, yeah. And um, but you know, as as it come out, and we still claim that to this day now that it's an art form. Mm. It's a way for us to express ourselves, regardless whether you're just screaming into a microphone or talking your deepest, darkest thoughts. Mm. You know, let's look at look at Tom Araya from Slayer, right? That band, some of their lyrics are bloody incredible, right? Mm. But then you look at Tom Araya, he was a huge Catholic gentleman. Mm. Huge Catholic gentleman. Mm. You know, they might have sang songs about Satan and, you know, killing people or, or whatnot, but it's just an art form. Yeah. And that, that, that's all it is. It really allowed that creative expression to come in and allowed fellow metalheads to to be able to unite, you know. Mm -hmm. We still do it to this day. If yeah, you, yeah. you see a bloke walking down the street with a heavy metal shirt mm -hmm. on, first thing you do is you give him a nod or you, you know, give him the devil horns. Yeah. It's like, it's that respect. It's a community. I mean. It's like, I mean, I never considered myself a metalhead because I'm into all sorts of music, not just exclusively metal, but with a band like Pantera and a few others, I love those bands like with everything and I've loved them for, you know, a few decades now and they're always very close by, you know what I mean? And um, that, Those albums are just yeah. so close to my heart. It's like, you know, I might not listen to them for a few months or whatever, but every yeah. time I do, you know, put this album on, it's yep. just like, it just... Kicks in, you know. It's one of those things. You know, I'm 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 43 years old now, and you know, as soon as I put that back on it, it's like it's like a, a time machine yeah. almost, and it just takes you straight back to those days, and you have those nostalgic moments. Yep. And it's it's just the power the Pantera had, the influence they had yep. on the metal community was was insane. It was a whole whole new genre of metal that had, had, had just come out. And I think Pantera, one of those few bands that just touched everyone in some way or another, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Everyone had some form of connection to Pantera. I remember when I was in primary school, um, I wasn't into them at that stage, but I'd drive to school every morning and um, there'd be – like a, a local guy 
you know, a bit of a, a misfit. He'd have a Pantera t-shirt on almost every day, like long black hair. And he's had these, because Pantera had really good artwork and good t-shirts. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, he'd have a different one every time. And I, I always took notice of those t-shirts because he was like the weirdo of the town, I guess. Um, but now I totally get it. Like he was just ahead of his time, I guess. And um, yeah, I mean, Pantera just took metal to a whole new level. Yeah. Yep. Yep. To quote a new level, the song. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You um, know. Yeah, even think about Pantera and where they come from as well with their early albums such as Metal Magic and Projects in the Jungle and I Am The Night. And mm. it's, it's like you listen to those albums and you go, there's no way known this is mm. Pantera, especially when you're hearing, you know, Terry's vocals on those early albums. And yeah. then obviously with Metal, I think it was, was Metal Magic that Phil come into it, I think. Was he on that one? Oh, or was oh. Cowboys his first? No, no, no. Yeah. He played on one of those earlier power metal, or sung on one of those earlier power metal uh. ones. But there's one thing that stuck with me when you're listening to those things. Dime's tone in his guitar. Yeah. It never changed <laughs> throughout his entire history of playing. Mm. He always had that same tone, and it's what, it's what gave Pantera that edge, that, mm. that sound. Yeah, he's got to be, I mean, it's hard to say this in the right way, but he's one of the best, like, hands down. He just, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of guitarists. I play guitar myself, but Dime was in his own league. Just the way he just ate the guitar, you know. Well, you're right, man. I mean, you sit there and you, you think about those guitar greats such as Steve Vai and yeah. Ningwei Mom, um, Momstein and stuff like that. Great guitarists and you listen to them and, They'll do a massive sound and or play a massive solo and that. Yeah. But the thing that always got me with those guys is it just sounded like a normal rock guitar. Yeah. Where to me, Dime had this that edgy sound to it. You know what I mean? Mm. He, you know, a lot of guitarists would scoop those mids out mm. where Dime preferred to push those mids out, really push those mids out. And, you know, he was well known on, on recording these these albums where he would have his guitar in the left channel, guitar in the right channel yeah. separately. Yeah. But then he would do the one thing that no other guitarist would do and they'd have a third track yeah. going stereo, <laughs> which just gave him that really full sound. And to me, that's the Pantera sound. mm it's just a, it's a massive wall of of guitar, but I see Phil Anselmo trying to explain Dimes playing and just how he was a step above everybody else. Like he just, I think he just had heart. Like he could hear his heart in his playing, and he doesn't sound like anyone else. Uh, no one else sounds like him. Whereas a lot of the the really great metal guitarists, like. Uh, maybe Steve Vai and Satriani and, you know, countless others. Like a lot of those solos and stuff started to mimic each other. Even yeah. um, Eddie Van Halen, like he's he's up there too. And a lot of people st uh, started to mimic him, but Dime just had something in his playing. And I think it was just purely, purely his oh, love. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, I, I was one of those fortunate people. I got to see Pantera back in 1994. Right. And <laughs> Just to see him play yeah. live and, you know, oh, the best part was, man, I, I've, got to, I've got to tell this story, right? Tell it. So, 1994, I remember it was, uh, I had tickets, it was 
Tuesday, the 11th of August, 1994. Wow. That's how, <laughs> that's how much of an impact this, because that was my very first concert that mm. I bought tickets for. Mm. And I had some mates who came down from Orbos to, to go to the concert, and we were all going to go together, and we thought, well, they had a show on the Monday night too. So we thought, well, let's go down on a Monday night, and we'll suss it all out and see where we have to go and everything. And I remember we we got to the front. It was at Festival Hall, mm. and we got to the front there, and we, we could hear them play, and we could hear it, and it, was just, it sounded amazing even through, you know, from the outside. And we are walking around that around Festival Hall and there was a couple of doors at the back there and we just started, you know, just knocking on the door, banging on the doors to see if they were open. <laughs> yeah. Next minute, this dude's opened the door and he's gone, run, dudes, yeah. the security's coming. So we've just nailed it straight into this door and I remember just looking down into the pit and just seeing this pit go wild. Now, we're only two songs left, but I remember we, we ran down the stairs and this is before Festival Hall put up that Barrier, they've got a barrier. I don't know, is it even still around Festival Hall now? I haven't been there for, yeah, I I think they, been there for years. Didn't they sell it or it's yeah, still something so. else now? But anyway, they had a barrier. Mm. They didn't have a barrier there. It was just like a concrete ledge and we just scaled over there because once you got into the pit, security's not coming in there to find yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And I remember going in there and, it was, you know, I, I can't remember that song that I come in because all I was worried about was trying to get in there without getting caught. Yeah. But I remember it was the uh, we got in there and it was it was the end of the night anyway. So the last song and it was uh, Cowboys from Hell. Yeah. The uh, they closed it and I just remember the, like all the going whole dark and you know and, yeah. and all the strobes are just yeah. going off. And I you know this is the first time I've seen anything of a sort and I was just like. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. And then the sound just kicked in and we're just moshing and, you mm. know, people are falling down, you're picking them up and throwing them back over the top and everyone's crowd surfing. Yeah. And it was an, a, such an amazing experience. So, and that just really set the tone for the next night. We got there at eight o'clock in, in, in the morning. We're only 16 years old at the time. Yeah. We got a backpack full of booze and stuff and we're sitting out the front of festival hall drinking all day no food at all yeah by the time i just remember going home that night and just i i i can't even describe it mate that was like that that was go for me mm. that was go from then on you know every single night I'd go to sleep listening to Pantera mm. or Metallica or playing some form of metal. You know, back then for me, you know, my very first album that I bought, heavy metal album on CD I bought, excuse me, was Megadeth, mm -hmm. uh, Countdown to Extinction, Pantera, Vulgar Display of Power, yeah. and Body Counts album. Yeah, right. I bought the three of those all at the same time. And uh, I think the week after that, I went and bought Metallica, the Black Album, and mm -hmm. Metallica, Ride the Lightning. Mm. And, you know, that was my that was my introduction to metal, pretty much. Not a bad one. Yeah, back in, back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, I was listening to it for a while and stuff. I had those albums for a while, but it was just incredible, man. It's like, I, I, I guess, you know, everybody has that moment in time where you wish you could go back to. Mm. And, and for me, it was that time. It's... It's almost like 
it was that time where I, I found myself. I found mm. almost like a calling, something that I could relate to with someone finally without being that introvert that I was always known for being, you mm. know, that that weird kid that just stood around and not talking or not saying anything because you're worried about what other people are going to think. And yeah. all of a sudden, metal just creates that whole world for you. So you found your people. So really, metal isn't a dangerous thing. It's actually uh, a saviour. Hard rock, metal, whatever you want to, you know. I, I don't even know how to say that, man. It's yeah. like you just hit the nail on the head. It, it, yeah. it is a saviour, man. It is. It really was a saviour, you know. Yep. You listen to some of the lyrics in that of those songs and people interpret lyrics how they want. Like people always want to know, you know, what was Phil's, mm. you know, whole mentality about writing some of the lyrics for these songs. But at the same time, you might, Here's something like Hollow is a yeah. really good song for that. It's you know, it's a it's a tearjerker of yeah. a song. You know what I mean? And it's like we can all relate to that in in some way or another. We, mm. You know, someone we've lost, or you know, it's not even have to be about someone lost. It could be about you know a friend that you no longer talk to anymore because you just lost traction. And you know, there's interpretation is a big thing. It's a whole nother side of. Uh, creativity that doesn't get discussed much about, if that makes sense. Mm, and that's what makes it yours as the listener. Like, you interpret it, I guess, how you want to. And just because Phil wrote it, I think he wrote Hollow about, didn't a few of his friends commit suicide yeah, and stuff like yeah, that? So, yeah. you know, obviously not all of us can relate to that, but we feel his pain and we may interpret some of the lyrics in our own way and that's fine. It just it makes the whole thing go around and that's... um. You know, when I feel angry, generally I'll I'll chuck on Pantera the, the, instead of going out and you know causing a ruckus somewhere. Yeah. I'll just crawl into my own little world and um, chuck on Pantera. It makes me feel better, and um, it just it gets a blood pumping, doesn't it? Like yeah. it really gets that blood flowing inside you, and that yeah. that sort of like you know what it is. It allows you to channel that rage inside you mm. into this one song and, you know, you just go off in your head or, you know, even if you sit now, I remember how, that's how I met one of my exes one time is I was in my, in my room with my window open, my window faced the front of the house and here I was head banging to, to Pantera <laughs> and she's walked past and, mm. and seen me and gave me the devil horns. I'm like, yeah. oh, who's this chick? And yeah. little did I know because it was the first day I moved in. She was my next door neighbour. <laughs> oh, nice. Wow, there you go. Hi. Well, you know, when I've had rough moments, I, uh, I chuck on music. And uh, I remember one time with an ex, you know, there was a bit of drama. I ran home. And I chucked on Use Your Illusion 1, The Garden in particular, because Slash's solo in that song just does something for me, and I just fucking cranked it. And yep. another night was Nirvana. I'd put two two speakers, and I put my head in the middle of it. And just, <laughs> you know. I, I think everyone's done that at some point. You, yeah. you just crank I don't it recommend up as it. loud. <laughs> yeah, please don't do uh, it in this day and age. I'm, I'm deaf in my left ear yeah. now, you know, from playing drums all those years and not wearing hearing protection. So if you play music, guys, just uh, <laughs> wear that hearing protection. Trust yes. me. Yep. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those stupid things we've done as kids. You yeah. lay down, speakers on, yeah. loud as you can, right next to each ear, and you, <laughs> you just absorb that whole sound and you're just loving it. Mm -hmm. 
yeah i mean i don't recommend it but it, it worked for whatever i was trying to doing to do at that stage yeah um so yeah i guess you know vulgar being um i think it was their sixth album i believe it was their yeah, sixth, six, album. sixth album and you know it was the next one following cowboys and um uh dime and vinnie's dad jerry uh dime and vinnie are brothers if anyone who doesn't know that out there um everyone he said everyone in the band was gunning gunning to make a heavier and more brutal album after cowboys um which was sort of more in the vein of maybe judas priest and uh maybe some of those earlier metal bands but they had a different idea of how to reach the next plateau of heaviness and they were fully driven and as driven as anyone could be and they were pumped. And, you know, you look at the home videos. Oh, yes. They've got the best home videos, <laughs> Pantera. And they were just driven. Like They, they really were. It was, it was all, all, you know, they really were rock stars, weren't they? I mean, you watch mm. those videos and it really was just sex, drugs, and rock and roll and yep. just fun and games, you know. Everything you hear about, you know, rock stars and that smashing up rooms and that. They, they did it all, and, you know, you'd sit there watching those videos over and over again going, how awesome would it be to just <laughs> have one drinking session with them? Oh, wow, yeah. But uh, I mean, I, you could argue they took that whole thing to a whole new level too. I, oh, know? yeah. So yeah, Everyone talks about it. You know, whenever they met Dimebag for the first time, the first thing he would do yeah. is throw a drink in their face Yep, and go, here you go. And Get he, on it. He'd, he'd, he'd give him his uh, his uh, signature bloody uh, black tooth grin. And what did you bring with you today? I did, mate. I've, uh, in uh, support of a uh, good old mate Dimebag, <laughs> I bought us a bottle of uh, Crown Royal, mate. And now here's the worst part. I'm, I'm, I have to apologise for this. I couldn't get Seagram 7, mm-hmm. but I did get the Seagram's row, though. So it's still Seagram's. Yeah. But, uh, what do you say we make one? Let's do it. Let's do it, mate. You Hook got a glass handy there? I do. So Dime invented this drink, which he called the uh, Black Tooth Grin, and mm-hmm. he, he named after one of Megadeth's uh, uh, songs, Sweating Bullets, because mm-hmm. in that song he goes, and smart, it's Black Tooth Grin. Yep. And uh, what it is, it's uh, pretty much two shots Thank you. Of Crown Royal. Yeah. That's your one. I'll just pour Dude. mine here. And I found out that uh, Vulgar Display of Power, that was actually from The Exorcist. That was a line in The Exorcist yes. movie. Yes, it was. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually pulled up the YouTube clip of that. And like with all funny little things like that, you go down to the comments and people are like, are you guys here for Pantera too? <laughs> you know, best, best album name ever. So, so it's, it's equal parts of the, uh, the drinks pretty much. So two mm. shots of the Royal crown and two shot, uh, two, two parts of our uh, Seagram's. Beautiful. Now, Legend. one of our dimes, especially a lot of people would drink this straight up like this, yeah. but, uh, Dime apparently didn't like the the taste of it, so what he used to do just to take the the edge off, it uh add a little splash of coke to it, mate. <laughs> so I reckon we do that anyway, because I haven't had a drink for a while, mate. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I reckon it's going to be a little bit of a. He's come prepared today. 
I really have. But I mean, look, you cannot Thanks. you cannot talk about Pantera yeah. and not have one of these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm down. I can't uh, say I've had these before, so no. Nah. So now you need to remember. Like I was reading reading about them uh, this morning on my way here, actually, and even though it's Diamond's Diamond's invention, it was uh the drink itself wasn't meant to be really a shot. It was meant to be sipped. Yeah. But of course. They just used to do the two parts and two parts, and uh, pretty much what was it? Can you remember his famous saying, mate? What was it? Oh, get your pull. Get your pull, or what else? Watch it go. Oh, yeah. And- <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <gasps> That's why he's got his beard to catch all that extra That's right. shit. Saves it. A- all right. Here you we know go. what? It's not a bad. <laughs> going to warm you up a bit, now but got, it's not. I've got to control the audio and the video here. Is this a you, good idea for me? You'll be right, mate. You'll be right. here he goes. Watch him go, guys. Get your pull. And then the best part, that Canadian whiskey isn't, it's not harsh at all. Like, how good does it taste? Good. Uh, oh, man. Woo. Could you imagine that? Like, just <laughs> meat and dime bag and, and him, him just... Throw oh. one of them in your face straight away for the first <laughs> time, and it, it, it was real oh. notorious for. Yeah, you couldn't tell him no. You couldn't tell him no. You had to have it. Yeah, oh. and especially with the enthusiasm that he would do, like he was a very um, what's the word? Extroverted. Yeah, and uh, oh, fuck, not influential. Um, charismatic. Very hugely, charismatic. Hugely guy. charismatic. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you'd find it pretty hard. I can just imagine going on tour with, with these guys and especially Dime. Oh, my God. Yep. And I guess, again, mate, I, I really don't want you to hate me, mate, but, <laughs> you know, back back to that 1994 tour. Yeah. Uh, one of the bonuses about that is they actually did a uh, in-store signing at um, Virgin Megastore in Burke Street. Oh, wow. Um. And I remember I was there that day, and they tried making everyone buy buy stuff to get it signed and that. But you know, guys were showing up with their guitars and getting <laughs> guitars signed and everything. Yeah. And, and management were trying to tell them, but in the end, they they just didn't win at all. Mm. And you know, it was just insane. Dimebag was, you know, I remember Dimebag was off his tree. He was like, <laughs> they were all recovering, guys. Yeah. You know. And um, because they did that on the Monday, the Monday, um, and it was just amazing to be able to meet your idol, I suppose. You know, Mm. you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it's like, and as I said, it all just fell together for me after that, and it Mm. just really shaped who I was as a person back then in the 90s, you know. So, being a drummer, obviously. I reckon Vinny's one of the best drummers, one of the best metal drummers, and he was he was great to watch. He had a fucking great sound, like, and his drum sound on every album, I felt like got better and bigger. So was he was he a big influence on you, drum as a drummer? Uh, like you wouldn't believe, you know, back in the nineties, you know, I didn't come from a wealthy family or anything, so I didn't have a drum kit at all, mate. You know what I mean? Mm. So. Me learning to play drums pretty much, you know, doing lessons at school on an actual drum kit, but then going home and practicing on chairs and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, it's what a lot of drummers do. Yeah, exactly, yeah. man, you yeah. know. Yeah. And and so 
I'd go home and put Folger on and you'd sit there learning these songs and playing along to them on the chair and stuff like that. Yeah. And no doubt about it, man, Vinny was a massive influence. Him yeah. and Lars Ehrlich from Metallica, if it wasn't for them two, man, I, mm. I honestly don't think I would have been playing drums, to be honest. But you watch Vinny, like, just the way... He- his kit is set up even, and the way he sits behind it, he's just controlling that fucking region. And, just and he the had way- those really big toms too. Like yeah. most people have don't have those like, you know, back then they didn't have the square rounded toms. So he had mm. the abnormal huge tom sort of thing, which mm. helped get him those really big, big sounds. And, and you know, he was just such a, a powerful player. And I guess yeah. that's why, I mean, you know, one of my things that I, I grew up doing, I was always a hard hitter playing drums. I, I can't play drums soft. And I actually, I, I left the band because, you know, they kept having a go at me about playing so hard all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I, it's my style. Yeah. You, you, you can't, you can't just go, oh, I'm just going to play lightly because you start playing lightly and you lose feel. Mm-hmm. You lose feel, you know. Mm-hmm. You sit there and try telling Vinnie Paul not to play loudly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> well, I always I, liked his, his double kick oh. stuff, like especially I think he took it up another notch on Far Beyond Driven, uh, songs like... Um, Dun, 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 becoming, dun, becoming, thank becoming. you. Um, and you then know, that double, that double kick pattern. What the hell? I can't even do that with my hands, let yeah. alone my feet. Yep, it's just insane. And then again, he takes it up another notch yeah. on Great Southern Trend Kill yeah. with Thirteen Steps to Nowhere. Oh yeah. Oh, how heavy is that song? That's um. That's... Yeah, he gets that little that little triplet pattern going. Yeah. Fuck. Not to get too far away from Volga, but I yeah. think Tranquil is probably my favourite Pantera album. What about yours? I'll say one thing, mate. Yeah. One thing about the Great Southern Tranquil. By far, that was the loudest album I have <laughs> ever heard. Yeah. Now, when I say that, yes, we can control the volume on our stereos, but if yeah. you were to go and play every album you own and have them all turned up to five or so... They're all at a certain level. They're all recorded at a certain level. Mm. But then you put on Great Southern Trend Kill and you put that on five, yeah. like the rest of them, and the volume level was just so much higher. And then you've got Seth scream at the start of um, mm-hmm. uh, Suicide Note Part 2. Oh, man. And it just it really set the tone for that entire album. Yeah. No, that's... Uh I think, you know, it's hard to pick a favourite um, and they all have their place, obviously, but Tranquil for me was probably the heaviest and the darkest and the loudest. Yeah, definitely, I, I will definitely say it was the darkest album they've done. Yeah, and I think they just all had their individual elements really honed in. Like, they've been good on every album, but uh, Vinny's drums sounded fucking solid as. Dime's guitars were bigger than ever. Phil's vocals and Rex, of course, with his bass, you know, just I think they hit a peak there, they, even they really if it wasn't did. commercially a peak, yep. you know. Um, but it was, a, it was a different time. But um, So Cowboys was released in 1990 yep. and Vulgar in 92. Now, that year in between, 91, that was a big year for music. Huge. Uh, you had albums, which I've covered on this show, you know, yeah, I can't help myself. <laughs> Slave to the Grind, Nevermind, Bad Motorfinger by Soundgarden, <sighs> Chili Peppers, Aussie, No More Tears. Ten. And, 
Uh, was it 92? Oh, 91, yeah. I think it was 91. 91, yeah. Yep. yep for I'm 10. not much of a Pearl Jam fan these days. Oh. Yeah. But, uh, and even <laughs> even Tupac released his debut album, Tupocalypse. Uh, so, yeah, Pantera. And then, you know, that was a massive year for music. And then started in 92, Feb. Um, Pantera just came in with a crushing, really, vulgar display of power. They really did, man. And it's mm. like, I can't stress this enough, man. It's like all the music that was coming out then, it's like, if you even listen to black metal and that, like Deicide, I was writing Deicide then oh, as yeah. well. And, you know, they're considered death metal in this day and age. But, you know, back then they were considered black metal because, you know, lyric content and all that was brutal. You know, that was a really brutal album and that. but. Nothing just had that volume like this album did, man. Nothing had that volume. Mm. And it really smashed it. I mean, you think about it. You, The first thing you put this album on and, and you're listening, oh, whether you had a cassette at the time, because cassettes were still around then, yeah. and you'd put the cassette and you'd get that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you just get smashed with that. And it's like. What, what a way! What a way to open up an album. I was thinking that too. It's like it's the perfect opener for that album, and uh, you know, a mouth for war. You know, had a great video as well. I really, yeah, it really did. Have that. <laughs> had Phil smashing the the cinder blocks yeah. with the sledgehammer, and yeah, you know, it was a really raw raw footage too, because you can see all the track work at the end from the grips and that, mm. where the you know they're doing footage around Vinnie Paul's drum kit and yeah. and stuff like that. It was really, it was an amazing, really amazing song, and, and you yeah. know, it's one of the things that, as you know, even to this day, bands still need to do. They need to pick that really important song yep. that's going to set the tone for the whole album. And I think that was the first single off the album, and. Um I believe Phil came out probably just the other day, I think it was, and said that he basically wrote that main riff. Like he showed Dime and then Dime obviously tore it up and <laughs> made yeah, it probably his own. pulled it apart. And, yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's just got some great re- – and Dime solo in that song, I mean, he's – He's just all over this album, he, and um, he's, he's really is just a genius, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Really, Dime like as we were saying before, I don't want to keep repeating it, man, but it's just so true. He was such a unique guitarist. He just, to yeah. me, he just stands above everyone. You know, you look at, you know, uh, what is it, Rolling Stones, best guitarist of all time and stuff, yeah. and he still made it right up there at, yeah. the, at the top, you know what I mean, out of every guitarist in the world. And I think a lot of that comes down to his uniqueness. Yeah, and he sort of, uh, he stuck with his own, sort of southern country metal style oh. all along. He just he just stuck in his own little thing and he did what he wanted. And um, I think this song, Mouth for War, ranked as number seven on Metal Hammer's list of top 50 Pantera songs, which would be a pretty hard list to put together, admittedly. Oh, that would be incredibly hard, man. How, how do you even start to judge it? How do you start <laughs> to put a songs yeah. into a, you know? Well, Mouth for War is definitely top ten, you know. I reckon, and uh, it comes down to Dimes riffs and his solo in the song, which is really cool. And even the way they finish the song, like it's a yeah. really cool outro. And Phil said um, this song was about channeling your hate into something productive, it's kind of like what we talked about yeah, before. Heavy, heavy metal, yeah. channel it into something really productive instead of, you know, 
it's almost like if you, if you can channel that hate into into a thought or a process rather than letting it expel from your body, yeah, it's so much so much better for you. And even yeah. even this day now, you know. In our younger days, we all done crazy things, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you'd get angry and you'd punch a hole in the wall or anything, but, <laughs> you know, as a, as a metalhead, it's like you, you could take that rage out in your head and just start headbanging in your room or yep. screaming at the top of your, your lungs. And you just get that rage and that aggression all out of you. And it's like yeah. after you do that, it's like you feel good, you feel, you feel pumped better. and you feel Better because you got to do something with that energy, you know, whether you like it or not. It's or you're gotta, just bottling it up, yeah. which, as we know, is never good for anyone to do. Yeah, I'll just turn that aircon up, man. Yeah, you're right, man. To cook, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was uh, the the shot, Is mate. The oh, <laughs> just heat it. Do a shot, like... <sighs> He made me do it. That was good. Oh, fuck. Really was good. Yeah, I think that warmed us up. That yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we were all right before. I wasn't that. expecting it. Like it was a really, it was a really good shot, but it was like, ooh, warmed the body up. No wonder Dom lost him so much. So Terry Date was the producer of Vulgar Display of Power. Plus Finny Plus Finny Paul. Plus Finny yeah, Paul. He got a credit on the back of the album yeah. there. Um, and uh, Terry also produced Cowboys from Hell. Yeah. And um, a lot of other kick-ass metal albums before that and after it, including Soundgarden, Mother Love Bone, Screaming Trees, Rest in Peace, Mark Lanigan, by the way. Yep, definitely. Um, Dream Theatre, Metal Church, and many, many more. And um, I think he – did he do Far Beyond Driven? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not 100% sure on that I th- one. I think he I th- did. I, I, think he, I think he did too, to be honest. And Great Southern Tranquil. He did, yeah. Yeah, okay, yep, yeah. yep. So, yeah, they recorded this at um, uh, Pantego Sound Studio in Texas, which was actually owned by Diamond Vinny's father, father Jerry. Yeah, Abbott. Jerry, yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. I think that's where Vinny got a lot of his sound tech skills from, is learning uh, from his father. So that explain, explains the co-producer. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you, you you think about it, when you listen to Vinnie Paul's kick drum mm. on that, it was that real distinctive. It wasn't a a thud like you'd get with most kick drums. It was a real click sort of sound, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had that distinctive click and thud going on at the same time, which really you know really made it stand out. Yeah, punch through, didn't it? Like it really, it- really did punch through. But um. It, it was just incredible to. Um, I'm I'm good, mate. I'm, yeah, I'm good, mate. You can you can have the water there. Um, <laughs> water is evil for anyone who wants to know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just my chain of thought. But, <laughs> but yeah, now Jerry was was amazing to have his own studio and and stuff and let the guys recording in that studio and and just to know that. Those albums come from a, a home studio per se. When you think about it, mm. it's a, a it's quite incredible. And when you think about, you know, Dave Grohl recording at Sound City and stuff like that, you know, on these massive mixing desks and stuff, where I'm not sure what sort of equipment they use, but I doubt they would have had that huge 
controlling desk that they had at Sound Studios and that sort of thing. So I guess, you know, as Phil and Rex spoke, I don't know if you saw that interview they did. Um, with Revolver? Yeah, with Revolver. Day, yeah. La- last week, was it? Last week yeah, or, I think it was or last something. Week. And he, he was just talking about that, how they were really able to, having that home studio there, they were really able to work on their sound and and really hone in on getting the right sounds for those albums there. Mm. And, um, you know, I've got to ask you a question, right? Yeah. How many times as a kid, right, did you sit there and you pulled your guitar and you tune it and you're trying to replicate Pantera songs, but you can never get his tone, could you? No, no. Um, and I only found out why the mm, other day, mm. and it really blew my mind, but it makes heaps of sense. So apparently, I can't even remember where I saw this. I don't know if it was even Rex talking about this the other day or not, but apparently what Don would do, he would tune his guitar, mm. but then what he would do, the last three strings, mm. he would tune them down. So instead of it being 440, like mm. every other string, he would tune it down to like 420 or 430. Mm. So it would be almost that quarter step lower than what it should be, mm. which gave him that sort of that really sludgy sort of tone Yeah, with those real mid sort of right there. So if you sat there and think about it and you tune your guitar down to a standard E or a D string and you're trying to play, you know, I'm broken or anything, you can never quite, it would mm. never quite sound the same, no matter what sort of distortion you would put on it. Mm. I remember I read something about um, basically Metallica and Dime. So I think it might have been James and Dime or maybe Kirk and Dime. Uh, I think Phil was talking about it. And one or the other was sort of, giving tips or helping out the other with tone. And I think Dime might have been helping out with technique or it was around the other way. Like I can't remember exactly. You know, you watch all these sort of documentaries when you've had a few drinks and some of it it sticks (laughs) but not all of it. Uh, So I thought that was really cool. But, yeah, Dime's tone is not to be fucked with. It stands on its own and that comes down to his playing Technique as well as, oh, you know, the gear that he I, uses. I remember Phil talking years ago in, in another interview where he's like, you know, you've seen so many bands come and they've seen so many bands come and go that have tried to replicate that Pantera sound mm. and no one can ever get it. No. No one has ever been close to no. trying to replicate that sort of a sound. No. And no. I think, again, it's that sound, it's that Pantera sound. You'll never be able to. You'll never hear it again. And I, never. I think that comes down to Vinny and Dime as well. And it's not to take anything away from the other two guys, but being brothers, like they grew up jamming together. Yep. Like they would have been synced in with each other. You know, on, so, a, on all from new kids, levels. Man, young yeah. kids playing with each other their entire yep. lives. Much like um, Alex and Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. You know, yep. you can't. Uh, you can't just. You can't take that musicianship away from them. Yeah, and that's what it all comes down to—is that musicianship. Mm. But I mean, oh, look, what are those key things as well? Like we've spoken about Dime and Vinny and little bits of Phil, but 
we've really forgot about Rex at the moment, haven't mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Rex for a moment because you think about it, Rex was – I remember seeing Rex play live and, man, did that guy, like, he owned that bass. He yeah. really owned – I'd never seen anyone just run around on a stage yeah. with his massive bass. I mean, that being a sort of – you know, skinny guy that he was, the lanky guy that he was, and run around stage with his massive bass and the tone he had in that bass. And I was talking about this with a with a mate yesterday about mm. this, and it's like Dom had that signature sort of guitar uh, sound, and Vinny had the signature drum sound, and that Rex man, <laughs> he was no different. Yeah, if you sit there and you pull his uh yep. sounds apart. He had that real fat chunkiness in that bass, like, but you could still hear the high sort of tones in the bass. Mm. You weren't just hearing the the, the wob wobs from the from the bass like you normally did back in the day from those sort of things. You know, it really, it was just really out there, just really driving. Him and Vinny had that real rhythm section absolutely covered there, and it's almost like. Dimes guitars just accented it, if, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think the best time to hear Rex is on a few of these songs on Vulgar especially and probably on a lot of the albums when Dime would play a solo and he wouldn't track like a rhythm guitar, so it would be just Rex underneath. And you can hear how heavy that bass is, <laughs> it sounds, yeah. and it's a really great tone and it gives a bit more room to breathe for Dime's solo. But, yeah, Rex and Vinny sound great together and I, I really like it when it's just bass and drums under those solos. It just sounds really heavy and there are a few of those songs on Volga. Um, but, yeah, Rex, I mean, I guess Dime's guitars just saturate initially a, what you hear, but the bass is there. Oh, it is there. Well and truly. You know, I guess, you know, we can't do it now, but if you've got that technology out there to to be able to extract all the instruments away and pull everything apart, actually just have a listen to those, those tones, it's just, mm. uh, it's insane. And you listen to music these days, and look, to me, in, in, in all honesty, don't get me wrong, I love some of today's music, man, but it's just... A lot of stuff is just way overproduced these mm, days, and you yeah. just don't hear the the qualities and the tones. Yeah, that that real raw sounds of those instruments. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they did pick these songs apart in the studio and made sure they had every note spot on, but it still sounds like they're jamming. So you know. Um, but I guess that's just a credit to the great players that they were, you know, and it doesn't sound overproduced. Not at all. Like, you know, albums these days. So I don't know if that's like a, something that comes down to like recording technique or just general playability of whoever's playing. But, um, yeah, they, they did make sure they had every note. I think I read that... You know, they'd strip the drums away and listen to the bass and guitar together to make sure. That was all locked locked in. All the yeah. instruments were all locked in yep. together. But as what, in saying that, again, it's like I remember them talking about, I can't remember who it was, one of the guys anyway, talking about when they're playing live and that sort of thing. It's like 
there was no producing or anything in that. What you heard them playing live mm. is 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 what you got. Mm. Like there was nothing there. It's like they were like we were just saying before though, the musicianship was just yeah. so there in the nineties with those guys that I mean, you think about it, you watch all those videos where they're playing live on stage, right? And you got other musicians like Peter Steele from Typo Negative throwing drinks and toilet rolls at them while they're playing and mm. you know, people jumping on dime bag while he's playing, jumping on his back <laughs> or knocking him to the floor. Yeah. And he's just still chunking away <laughs> why, you know, all this is going on. Well, there's one video where Dime broke the headstock off one of his guitars. Yes. Um like the actual headstock and And he's still just playing. And still played. <laughs> so he kept playing it. Yeah. But and he'd drink a lot too. Like yeah. he was one of those guys. I was talking to Michael Yule about this last night. I'm like, if I have too many drinks, I can still play guitar, but I can't keep singing. My voice is shot. And he was like, Well, I can keep singing, but I can't really play guitar. And it made me think of Dime because in a lot of those home videos, Dime would be smashing the black tooth grins or the crown royal you know two two or three bottles down still going <laughs> so coming and back, he didn't miss a note coming back to 1994 tour man <laughs> i remember halfway through the set right next minute the the stage crew will out this whole trolley <laughs> and the trolley is absolutely loaded with about a hundred beers on there man yeah and dime just starts throwing these beers oh, out into, into the, the crowd. crowd. Yeah. And that's on, they show it on the videos yeah. too. It was one of their things that they did at the gigs and they'd yeah. flick them and see how like, far <laughs> they could throw them and catch these drinks and yeah. they would just put them away, man. Absolutely put them they'd away. catch them and they go, yeah. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't full cups or anything. There was just enough in them so they could launch them not, through not the crowd. Not by the time they got there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. And it was just insane, man. But, yeah, I, I mean, look, guys, anyone, anyone – listening to these, I, I just recommend just you can download them these days but just go on have a watch of the pantera vulgar videos mm. it, it, it's it's a sight to see and and yep. you know it was a if you think jackass was great mate i mm. think these guys were almost the pioneers of of, of jackass almost yeah. just some of the stuff they would do and you know the just the crazy antics of stage diving and drinking and you know it's practical jokes practical jokes yeah. and just being dime was a oh my god i would hate to be <laughs> his practical joke no nah, no way no would you ever <laughs> want to you'd be the most tired bastard on that tour i reckon but by the time they hit the stage they were ready to go and that's you know what no i remember what. years ago they would talk about that uh, it was uh, I can't remember his full name, but Cat. Mm. Unfortunately, he was one of the guys that was killed the night Dime got oh, killed yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And he was one of the uh, one of the crew members for them. And I remember him saying that you know, when you're with Pantera, it's all fun and games. But on the night they played a gig, there was work to be done, oh, yeah. and you did the work. Yeah, you you worked your ass off. Yeah, you, everyone had a job to do, and they all did their job. Yeah, no, I second that. I highly recommend checking out the Pantera home videos. There's, uh, I think there's three or four now. Yeah, I think, uh, I think did they release the fourth one? I don't know. I know there was talks about releasing yeah. the fourth one, but I think it can come down to uh, Dime's missus of whether she wanted to release it or not. Yeah, there's also Dime Vision. Dime, that's what I think it was, actually, Dime yeah. Vision. There's, there's one Dime Vision release, possibly two. And I 
think that was maybe more from the damage plan days yes, after yeah, Pantera. Probably, I yeah. think. Well, I, I think I, that's what, yeah, Dime mm. Vision would have been. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 to be honest with you, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of like whenever I see stuff like that, it sort of hits a soft spot for me because, you know, yeah. I. I'm one of those few guys, and I don't want to talk too much about it, man, but I'm, I'm one of those guys where I can – I still remember where I was the day that I heard that Dime was, had been shot, and I broke down in tears. I was just like, you know, mm. no, no way, no, because, I, you know, everyone knew that there was troubles with Pantera at the time mm. and stuff, but it really just sort of like – cemented it in that, that that was the end of Pantera. Yeah. That was the end of Damage Plan too, you know mm. what I mean? That was, that was the end. And then Vinnie Paul announced not long after it that he was never going to play again. Yeah. And and then some, you know, miraculous reason he formed Hell Yeah with, yeah. with Chad from, yeah. from Mudvayne. And, you know, it was good to see... Vinnie Paul's legacy live on after that, and and you know Dime's legacy even lived on through Hell Yeah as well. You know mm. we've got a few songs from Hell Yeah dedicated to mm. to Dime Bag, such as Thank You. Yeah, I saw them. They supported Black Label Society. Yep. Uh, couldn't even tell you when, but uh, it was just great to see Vinnie on drums. But yeah, Dime was only what was he thirty eight? Yeah, I think. Uh, Oh, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you how old he was. I don't know why I'm thinking 38, but I think he was only 38 when he was very young. And I think they pretty recently actually burned that club down or it got burned it got, down. Yeah, it got demolished. demolished. Yeah, it got demolished. And, yeah. Uh, I remember they were talking about it. Was like, I remember a lot of guys talking about it when they announced <clears> that it was going to be demolished, that club, and they had graffitied a massive rock out the front. And they wanted someone wanted to grab the rock and keep hold of it and that because it was all was a tribute to Dimebag, yeah. pretty much that rock. And I'd love to know what happened to it. If anyone knows, let let Craig know. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, you know, really sad story. Really, it's pretty unbelievable. It's, it really is unbelievable, yeah. man. But you know, you know what we've got, man. You know what we've got. Uh, we got these albums here, man. To Breathe that legacy still. Mm. We can still hear Dimebag every single day of our lives in these recordings, mm. in those videos. That that dude has gone down in absolute history. That this yeah. band Pantera has yeah. absolutely gone down in history yeah. as one of the greatest heavy metal bands yeah. of all time. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we lost Dime in 2004, I think it was. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's almost 20 years ago, but he's still, you know, much like Hendrix, I guess, he's up there. And Eddie Van Halen, you know, yep. and he won't be moved from that perch. No, no way. As you said, man, it's uh, Pantera took heavy metal yeah. to a new level. Yeah. Let's talk about that song. That was a, that was a mad-ass <laughs> song. song on the, Second on the song album. on the album. Yeah. Bogle Display of Power. And it, what a song that was. Drop you, D tuning. You think about it, man. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah, and I think this is, uh, you know, it's some of the guys from the band like Phil and Rex. I think on that Revolver interview, that's still one of their favourite songs from yep. the album. Yeah. And, and I think Phil still plays that, like when he plays a Pantera song with one of his bands, uh, the Illig- Phil Anselmo and the, the Illegals. Illegals, yes. Uh, or, or, or Down. Down, yeah. yep. which they're not. To get, well, they're not really doing anything. No, but I remember him talking recently about the illegals and yeah. how when they started rehearsing the Pantera songs, that are, it was really important to Phil, super important that they got those yeah. songs yeah. right because, and it's the same to this day. You know what I mean? I, I, I guess I've dreamed. I, I guess a lot of people have dreamed over the years about maybe doing a Pantera tribute band. Yeah, but it's like you know what. The way I look at it, if I could never do just one of their songs justice, mm. don't touch it. No, no. Don't touch it. No. And, you know, before Vinny passed away, you know, there was often talks about maybe one-off gigs and That's bringing right. in Zach Wilde on guitar. Yep. And he probably... Uh, I don't think I really wanted to see that, although Zach would have been Zach's, the perfect person to yes, do it. Yes, he's the only one you'd yeah. really want to do it, but at the same yeah. time, it's, yeah. it still just wouldn't fill that void. He'd nah. be the closest guy to fill the void, yeah. but it just it would never fill that void. Yeah, and it's not to take anything away from Zach. Like, no, Zach and Don were, were best buddies, and I really feel sorry for Zach. Yeah, for you know, sure. Um, but some things you just shouldn't do, and to be fair, they didn't do it. Yeah, um, it didn't feel right to them, so they yeah. they left it. Yeah, which is uh, I I think personally it's a it's a great mentality to have. Yeah, you know. Um, but a new level. It was just I remember hearing that song for the first time, man. I just hearing that. Oh, what's this? You know, you hear that guitar goes <laughs> Vinnie Paul doing the yeah. you know drums, and and then it just kicks into it and it's like yeah. <laughs> Wow, it's just like yeah. da, na, 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 na. and hear those guitars when Dime starts palm muting. Palm muting, well. and it's just like that. It always breaks the speakers. That's yeah, that's <laughs> where it's like you get that. Boom, 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 yeah. Boom, boom. yeah, and it's just like that again. You channel any rage that you had yeah. into that, and then the the main the main uh a verse riff would kick in and you just lose it even more. <laughs> and then the chorus would kick in yeah. and it is like, a new level. Yeah. And you just, you just pump away at it and you just, you couldn't stop. Even if you wanted to, mm. you couldn't stop. It was just, it was just one of those things. But even those lyrics, I think, summed up what this album and period of time was for Pantera, a new level of confidence and power. Yep. Such yep. power, and that just—I think—that summed summed them up for that period of time. Uh, you know, they're coming off Cowboys; they were reaching a new level. They had the confidence because um, they just toured, you know, and they had shit to prove. Like yeah, they I weren't remember, just fucking around. I remember Phil saying they toured for like three hundred and thirty something, three hundred and yeah, thirty or forty days or something straight. Yeah. Which is, you know, it wasn't unheard of sort of thing back then. I mean, Metallica toured for like, you know, three yeah. years straight with the Black Album. Yeah, but they were pretty well accustomed to touring by then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but playing that sort of music, whether it be Metallica or Pantera, that shit wouldn't be easy to play every night. No, no, not at all. Yeah, man. that's not just picking up an acoustic guitar and singing a few songs. That's uh, 
that's pretty pretty tiring sort of stuff. As I said, man, in, in the end, it's it's still a job, isn't it? Yeah, it's still a job. You know, it's what makes it really hard for musicians. They would spend all this time on the road. It means you can't land a career somewhere. You can't go and you know do some some sort of you know picking and packing job or or mm. anything like that because you're on the road for so long and then you come back to reality and it's like oh okay well uh, where do I make my money now if you weren't yeah. selling heaps of albums like thankfully for Pantera back then they were selling the albums yeah. Metallica was selling the albums and stuff yeah. but I mean if you look at uh, bands like Typo Negative for instance you had Peter Steele mm. now Peter Steele you know. I'm still jealous to this day that I never got to see mm. Typo Negative tour here in Australia. But Peter Steele hated touring, absolutely hated it. Yeah. Um, and even throughout all his time playing with Typo Negative, he still always maintained a job at, at his local council really? as a garbo driver, really? as a garbage truck driver. Wow. And uh, it was, it was uh, quite amazing. But how does any band of Pantera stature do that. So he couldn't. A job's a job really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and that was their job is is selling albums and, and putting yeah. on shows for people. And you know, I remember when I saw him in ninety four, Phil stopped halfway, you know, after about the third or second song, he's like, you know, fuck all these laser shows and yeah. shit and stuff like that. Flying we're, dragons yeah, and shit. We're not about that. It's yeah. like, we just want to come here. Yeah. We want to play music for you, give you a basic light show yeah. and party with you guys. Yep. And that's what, that's what Pantera were about, man. And nothing's ever going to change. Well, I, um, I was lucky enough to see them in 2000 or 2001. 2001. Yeah. At Festival Hall again, and you know, I was 18. Is that the Great Southern Trank Hill? Yeah. Ah, uh, no, it would have been Reinventing the Steel. Yes, you're right, actually, it was. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I don't remember a lot from the show, and I think it's because I was, I was pretty young, yep. and I think, we'd, I think we'd had a few drinks before we went in. I remember <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> I remember I dyed my hair black around that time. I I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, yeah, and I we were in the mosh. Somehow we got in the mosh, and I went down, and before I knew it, I was picked back up again. They looked after me. Man, I've got to say, I have to say, this is a difference between a one of those old school gigs to a new gig that you go to these days, right? Yeah. You go and see Parkway Drive, mm. great band, don't get me wrong, I love them, right? You go there, they're aiming those pits as to almost knock people out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They're, they're not, I don't, I'm not saying this to be a pussy or anything, right? But they're not safe spaces in those pits. We're back in the Pantera days. Mm. If, if someone fell over or someone got knocked to the ground, you picked them up. You made yeah. that space and you picked that person up to make sure they were okay. And then they'd, be, they'd give you the thumbs up and go, yeah, I'm all good, man. <laughs> and you go, yeah. yeah. And, and you'd pick that person up and you'd send them crowd surfing. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And uh, sadly, you just – you don't see that stuff these days, man. The old school crowd was just a – was a whole, a whole other world in those sort of pits compared to – to this day and age. Yeah. And look, I, I, I apologize. It is a, a personal opinion, mm. but you know, I've, I've spoke to 
plenty of people over the years about this subject and it's one of those things because I saw that firsthand in in Pantera's tours, you know what I mean, where people would get knocked down yeah. and everyone would be doing their best to try and push people out of the way so you could pick that person up, you'd make sure they're okay. Yeah. And you'd send them off if they weren't okay. I remember I had my little rule, man, if you needed to get out of a pit, you crouch down and you wiggle yourself backwards, you push your bum out and you wiggle backwards and that's how you yeah, would yeah. get out of the pit safely. Well, I was picked up before I even realised that I was down That's and I always appreciated that, but that was probably one of the last times I went in a pit and one of the first, <laughs> and it was a hell of a first one to be in. But, you, you, uh, either, you either have a good experience <laughs> or a bad experience. Well, it wasn't bad, you know, because I was looked after, but um, I, I prefer these days or you know since then to actually just sit back and watch i don't need the the pit experience that's it's right. cool to watch but i don't need that to enjoy the music and you know there's all sorts of different music fans and that's just me i prefer to sit back watch fret watch and uh you know just yeah. watch my favorite band but they were it was just something else you know it was such a crazy show that i i can't really remember it and uh i'm yeah. just so glad you got to see him, man. Well done, man. You know, a lot of people never got to see him, man, and they they never will now. You know what nah. I mean? Well, we are. I guess in a nutshell, man, we're really lucky. But when you think about it, man, how awesome are we for the short amount of time we're on this planet for. Yeah, we were alive when Dimebag was around, man. Yeah, when Pantera was around. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's <laughs> that, that's something to speak for. Yeah, they were a, a different animal, and I'm, you know, I mean, you just got to watch the videos, but I'm sure if you got to see them, you would sort of second that, and uh, they're not just like any other band, any other heavy metal or rock band. Like, they they brought something extra. They, they, they didn't try to put on a show. They didn't try and impress you. Mm. All they did, they were themselves. They didn't have to put on a show. I'll tell you one of my favorite performances to watch of theirs and one I go to, you know, when I go down that rabbit hole on a Friday night or a Saturday night having too many drinks, chuck on some Pantera. (laughs) And one of my favorite things to chuck on is, I think it's like half an hour of footage from OzFest 2001. And I think it was the last, I think it was the last show of the OzFest of that tour. And, you know, Phil's wasted, no doubt, the rest of them are too, but you can tell Phil is. And it's not the full Pantera performance. I'm sure it's out there to get somewhere. It's like half an hour, maybe 40 minutes of footage. Uh, You know, like Yesterday Don't Mean Shit, Cowboys, Primal Concrete Sledge. Yeah. And it's just amazing to watch. It's it's just like these guys are a different fucking animal. They they really are, man. They they really are. It's just... It's something you could always look forward to, you know what I mean? And it was really, you know, I always liked the darkness of of grunge and stuff like that. And Pantera had that. It wasn't sort of a manufactured darkness, you know, I'm singing about the devil and stuff like that. Like they had this thing and, you know, Phil Phil looked fucked up, but it added to the, uh, that darkness aesthetic of of what they were doing and you know had his had his long hair and <laughs> the, um, the, mo- the mohawk uh, did he have the mohawk at the time or no i don't think it was a mohawk no, that was the cowboys era wasn't it yeah it was like um 
you know, reinventing the steel. It's like, uh, revolution is my name. Yeah. Like you have that sort of long hair. What a good riff, huh? Oh man, <laughs> that song is a riff fest. Um, but yeah, I always really love that Ozfest 2001 performance. Uh, so go and check that out if you haven't seen that. Check, um, just check out any <laughs> check Pantera out show. Yeah. You know, oh, man, if we're going to talk about shows, you, you can't go past Monsters of Rock Donington. Oh, yes, I had that on my list here. Oh, yeah, let me scroll back man, up. Man, that, that, that was insane. Like, yep. people died at that gig, man. Did they? Yeah, people oh, died at that gig. But it wasn't from being crushed and stuff like that. It was yeah. was more from the brutality of police and stuff, whacking people with buttons <laughs> because they hadn't seen anything of a sort either. It was just, again, a way to just release yourself, yeah. you know, just channel that anger. And the Russians wouldn't have been used to no, not to at having all. that. So yeah, I think after being in the studio for two months, this is during the recording of Volga, so it hadn't come out yet. Uh, Pantera were invited to open for Metallica and ACDC oh, at the 1991 Monsters <laughs> of Rock a gig. <laughs> free free concert in Moscow. Uh, on September 28, 1991, the band then returned to the studio after that to you know, sort of finish vulgar. Um, Vinny said the crowd treated us like Led Zeppelin, even though most of them had never heard us. Um, And, yeah, you just watch, I think, didn't they put that on a... A new level film clip. If you watch the new level film clip, that whole film clip is based at Donington. But they did a bit of a... Oh, you said Donington. What did you say? Monsters of Rock. Monsters of Rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... Is that Donington? No, that's that's Germany, I think, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Was uh, was uh. Sorry, Monsters of Rock is Russia. Yeah, Monsters of Rock was the one that was uh, that was the one that was really screwed up, man. Where they played uh, Domination. Yep, Dominate, which is great. Cowboys. They actually recorded that live. Part of that, they they did a little documentary on that. It must be on one of the home videos. Yeah, it is. Where they didn't they sleep in a like a little tent? Tent. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) and they had like gummy. Phil was eating gummy bears, gummy bears and stuff. And 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 uh, I remember Vinny Vinny going, "Oh, (laughs) you know, that's that's Vinny's drumsticks over there. Don't get too close to him." That's all right. Yeah, they took like a little tour of their fucking sleeping tent. Yeah, and and all they had to eat was KFC or McDonald's. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Must be on the. It's on the videos, uh, the vulgar videos. It's, yeah, but it really was like you just look at the footage of that, and it really was a, a sight to see. I mean, if if you think of the biggest crowd you've ever seen, just times it by ten. Yeah, and I think Kirk Hammett said that too. Like, you look out and you think you can see the end of the crowd, but you can't. Yep. Um, and, yeah, you see the, the Russian police sort of just hitting people with batons. Rubber batons, man, just cracking them. But you get bands like Metallica, like, they were in their peak then but yeah, live. There, yeah, yep. And new bands like Pantera coming out, you know, that uh, had something to prove. And um, you watch the footage of either one of those bands and it's fucking incredible. Especially Domination, I think, stands out for me. Uh, you know, Dime Solo and stuff like that. Just the way he... Oh, man. It's, yeah. 
it, it, it's funny. I know a, a lot of people who who know Pantera and who are listening to this are going to be like, they're going to know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? But for those new people, have probably. Let's just say I've never heard of Pantera. I've probably heard of them, but never really yeah. gotten into them. It's just honestly, do yourself a favor. Just go and get Pantera Vulgar Display of Power. And even even if you listen to it just one time, mm. do yourself that favor and just listen to the album just once. Yep. And I think you might understand exactly where we're coming from with their mm. with their playing, the rawness of the sound and and everything that Pantera was. Well, they said Cowboys was sort of the the debut album for like the power groove or the groove metal thing, but yep. I don't know. I think personally, I think it was vulgar, but I guess. I, I, I reckon, I, I, I believe, and per, again, personal opinion, but I think uh, Cowboys from Hell was a, a segue. Yeah if that makes sense. It was a segue to Vulgar Display of Power. It, yeah. set, it set a new tone and I went, you know what? This actually really works for us because, yeah. you know, when you, when you hear Cowboys from Hell, that album is is really completely different to what they had done previously. Mm. And it's like, I th- it's almost like they were just testing new waters. Yeah. And it really worked for them. And I think from there, it's like they caught a wave. And the best, you know, the best part about Pantera, man, they rode the wave to the fullest extent. <laughs> As yeah. you said, man, you had the cowboys from how these dudes that are just reckless and mm. love playing music and they're into what they're doing to vulgar display of power where they really show what they're all about with their raw aggression and and how vulgar they can be to far beyond driven. Oof. When you think of that far beyond driven, it's like these guys are driven to the core, but we're going further than that. Yeah. To you know the great Southern Trend Hill, which almost when you, you say that slowly, man, the great Southern <laughs> Trend Kill, it's like yeah, they set the tone, man. They set that tone for that Southern style metal, man. So to me, like, I, I, and I don't think this is something that's often discussed. It's like you know, people often discuss like grunge came from a different part of America than like glam. Glam was LA. Yep. Grunge was Seattle. Seattle. But Pantera was Texas. Yeah. And I don't know if that's discussed very often. Maybe that had something to do with it. They came from a different part of America. Not like they were the first band to ever come or base themselves in Texas, but um you know, it's a lot whole, of Metallica all, with San Francisco. Yeah, you had your, your uh, bass thrash metal and stuff. Yeah, from San Fran, it's from San Fran, and, and and Pantera cut their teeth in uh, Texas. You know, they, on the live scene. So maybe that's got something to do with it. They, these guys worked their way to where they got. Mm. It, it you got to remember this didn't happen overnight for no, Pantera. Not at all. No, you know, no. these guys formed in in the early eighties, like every other band did. Yeah. And work their way up, and really didn't hit a big time until after Cowboys from Hell. Yeah, you know it wasn't until they really didn't get the big um, notoriety until you know towards the end of Vulgar Display of Power, just before mm. uh, Fabian Fabian Driven coming out. And, yeah. and as I said, I was as I was talking to you through the week, and I said, you know, Vulgar Display of Power never had a, an actual tour. Their first tour was. Yeah. Uh, far beyond driven. 
Yeah, so for Volga, they uh, toured with Soundgarden, Skid Row, uh, I think White Zombie, yep. Megadeth all, in Europe, I yep. think. All the great, all the American yeah. greats. I mean, I remember hearing about the Pantera Metallica tour, and I was like, oh, my God, I hope, <laughs> how good would that be if they come down here yeah. for that? Yeah. That would have been absolutely insane. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, then you got Walk. The riff, <laughs> you got the riff, the video, you know, the ultimate sort of heavy metal anthem, really. Um, and it was actually the fourth single from the album. So you had Mouth for War. Um, yeah, the third. So it had Mouth for War, a new level. Yeah. And it finished off with that. Girl size. Yeah. And then it was Walk after that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, it's just like that one riff, that one down tune. Like, I don't even know what tuning it was in. It was like, it's I drop D, I think. Drop D. Yeah. But as I said, drop D, but even a little bit more than that <laughs> D just to get that yeah. dime tone. It was just like, I remember because back in the day when we were trying to learn that, it was like, it was just on that first fret. Just yeah. bending down just a little we were, bit. We were discussing it yesterday, going, it's almost like when you play it, you almost have to, when you hit that first note, you almost have to have it already bent. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you know, we didn't have Google back then. We didn't have Ultimate Guitar back then. Mm. So you had to figure out these songs for yourself, or if mm. you were lucky, a mate might have had a tab that he was able to get somehow or anything. And I remember playing it in D and, Going from the second fret to the first fret, going dun 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 and then so it was almost like a triplet instead of just the bend on that on that first yeah on that first fret trying to get the tone out. It worked, it worked, but it, it you know to find out in this day and age, with it, you never actually did. It was all just done on the, on that first fret, but it's such a powerful riff just yeah. with his tone all together with those mids right out there, just hearing that. <laughs> and that's how the song starts with yeah. the drum. Yeah, and um, insane. And it's like, and that was Dimes playing as well. Like he did those fucked up little bends in a lot of yep. his solos and stuff. Uh, and that was a feel thing, you know. He didn't like straight sounding patterns, I no, guess. Yeah. You know, he and he fucked with it. He chucked an odd note in there or a or an odd bend just to just to fuck with it and make it his own. Walk <laughs> is my one of my all time favorite guitar solos. Oh yeah, yeah. Because when he's playing that solo and he does those slides where he's like, and. It was like, wow, man! You never hear a guitarist do. Yeah, it was really like a, almost like a. Who were, the only other guitarist I can compare at the time doing weird stuff like that was Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, who mm. would you know play around with his his frets and his pickups and stuff. And <sighs> yeah, but he had effects. I mean, not to take anything away from him, but. Yeah, he yeah, he used a lot of effects pedals. I guess Dime used a few too. To be fair, yeah, of of, of course, but you but know, yeah, yeah. But just it was more more about his hand techniques. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And the solo from Walk was was just insane. And even to this day, it's like you go to a pub or a club or wherever you are. And he, I, man, tell me, 
38 years old, mm. you still hear Walk, you still lose your shit, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, it's just one of those songs. Yeah, and the video, it's like, it's it's a heavy metal anthem. It really, it really is. is. Yeah. Yep. yep. But uh, to be honest, like I sort of skip over this song when it comes on now. Yep. Just for, like an Enter Sandman or a Sweet Child of Mine. O- overplayed? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it's yeah. like pe- people who aren't Pantera fans like Walk. So it's kind of been, you know, I don't want to sound like a bastard, but it's been poisoned in that sort of. Just as you, as you said, it's like it's like number of the beast, enter Sandman. Yeah. But it shouldn't. It doesn't take anything away from what the song was. It just it turned into that. As you said, so, man, their anthems and an- yeah. anthems get boring after a while. Yeah, let's yeah. let's be honest. Anthems get boring yeah. after a while. But if you're there live, like that song, or even if you watch it live, you know it goes off. Yep. And the, uh, I don't know if this means anything to you as a drummer, the time signature of the riff is 12-8. What does that mean? <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> Sorry, I was just playing it in my head now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 12-8. 12-8. Yeah. 12-8. Yeah. That would almost still make it a 4-4 song. What? Yeah, it doesn't sound too far. I think when you when it, when I mean twelve eight, it sounds like a complicated riff. Uh, riff, but it's probably not. But it, it, in in hindsight, it really isn't because it still no, breaks down into fours. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, I don't mean it's simple to play. Like it is the first part, but if you play the tail end of that riff, yeah, good luck. Oh, the the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I I, yeah. I get it, but. But it's still not a. I mean, it's one of those songs. It's just all feel, man. It's yeah. all feel. But uh, yeah, the uh, solo. I yeah. agree. Yeah. All I mean, it's feel. hard to fault any Dimebag solo, really. But uh, I'd love to just be able to play just one solo of Dimebags, just one. Have you heard um, the Avenged Sevenfold uh, cover of this song of Walk? That was on one not of their albums. Walk. I know they did a cover of. I think it was. I've done a few Pantera covers now. Mm. I can't remember the one that I heard, but it... Yeah, they had the balls to chuck it on the end of one of their albums. And wow. uh, I thought, that's fucking... That's ballsy. And look, they did it. They, they did, did it justice? It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to go. I'll check it out. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah. But, um... And look, let's move to the next song, The Madness of, of <laughs> yeah. Fucking Hostile. Yeah. Wow, if, yeah. if, if that just didn't punch you in the teeth, <laughs> nothing else would. It's like, just yeah. start, I was just feel just going, who I tell three, four, yeah. and just kicking into it just yeah. so, so fast and just in your face. And it's just like, and, and, and again, it's like Dom's guitar work in that song yeah. is just amazing. Like, it, it's hard to even just try and replicate the sound of that, of the chorus. Yeah, I think they hit a bit of the, the thrash metal thing in this song. Yes, I yeah, think, definitely, with the, with definitely the had, had the thrash in there and like that, yeah. that, that whole, that little riff where it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh man. It's incredible. So a really short song. It's one of their shorter songs they ever done, I think. It's like two minutes something. Yeah, I think. two minutes something. And, 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 uh, it's a, it's just a 
grab you by the throat and punch you in the face. And it's like, wake up, this is Pantera, mothers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is kind of my song at the moment, you know, fucking hostile. I'm pretty hostile to yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of things going on. Yep. But, uh, I mean, we should mention as well, like, Phil's vocal style from, from Cowboys to, to Vulgar. Like, on Cowboys, I guess he had more of the, uh, the Rob Halford... And that's where I was saying before yeah. that the I believe that the Cowboys from Hell was a transition from the power metal yeah. to what they were, what they were doing in the end of days yeah. is you know because he did he had that lovely singing tone in Cowboys from Hell yeah and you know don't get us wrong he still had some really good voices and you can hear oh, that yeah. in the song Hollow at the, the very yeah. end of the last song of the track where he's got a really nice ballad in there and you can still hear his nice clean singing tones mm. but you know this album is what shaped Pantera hands down. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the high notes like in Cemetery Gates and stuff like that, you didn't hear that from from Volga onwards, really. No, you, you it, really didn't. It, it was all growl Yeah, it onwards. was all growls. And, yeah. You know, and as, as, as you know, with Great Southern Tranquil, he, he got Seth to do the scream at the start of uh, oh. uh, Suicide Note. Uh, who was Seth from? I can't remember what band Seth was from. Is that the same as the middle of War Nerve? Like the, the big high screams? Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's not that Phil couldn't do them at all. Yeah. I think it was more about having guests mm. playing on the albums and stuff. Okay. But um, after fucking Hostile, man, there was this love. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which was another, it was the, I don't know. <laughs> it was like that. Uh, a power ballad, but not a power ballad. Yeah. Uh, um, I've got a funny story with this, man. Go for so, it. <laughs> this love, I loved it. It's a great song, as you know. It's a nice, slow, sort of lovey dovey song, sort of thing. Yeah. And I loved it. And, you know, the middle, the chorus was really punchy and stuff. But the, Oof, yeah. you know, the, the verses were real nice and lovey dovey and stuff. So I remember I used to dedicate this song to my, my ex. <laughs> one of my exes, and I used to sing it to her, and that, and then I, I found out that it was actually about a prostitute, <laughs> mm. which the video sort of hinted at. Yeah, but I, you know, being a stupid teenager, I'd never, yeah, I'd never yeah. got that hint. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, oh, it was just, it was just really, really funny. You know what I mean? Mm. But um, that's, that's a, that's a great <laughs> song. It's like you know. Lovely power ballad. You hear mm. for Phil's nice vocals in that too. Yeah, and you hear actual Dimebag singing in his song for the first time. Oh, really? Too. Yeah. So he's really? he's doing the uh, love oh, thing, yeah. love child, love yeah. die. So uh, yeah. it's uh, you know it's a combination of him and Phil on on doing the vocals for that. And when playing it live, it was always Dime and and mm. Phil singing it, or him and Rex and Dime and Rex doing the <sighs> the alternative the alternate. Vocals there. Isn't there a clip, it could be on the home videos again, of Dime singing Seek and Destroy uh, yes. by Metallica? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> so he was a bit of a singer. Yeah, yeah. He had a good voice on him. Yeah, yeah. A really good voice on him, actually. It's like, it's just, but, you, know, you know what I hated about Dime? He was just one of those <laughs> natural, talented yeah. musicians. Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? We, we, we spend years honing yeah. out how, you know. Yeah our craft and stuff trying to get better and better. And this guy was like, bloody natural, man. This guy had won how many 
guitar yeah, competitions when he was younger. by the age of 16 yeah, yeah. that I remember talking about this and this was all just riffraff at the time but yeah. you know the talk of he'd been banned from playing in any guitar competitions because <laughs> yeah. he just friggin won them all yeah yeah that look that's pretty important I mean I, I don't remember where I read that actually but yeah he won all these guitar competitions as a teenager Yep. Uh, he grew up in Texas, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it must have been something local. Yeah. And yeah, they ended up banning him because he kept winning. Kept winning. There was yeah. no one who could just out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How insane, you know? Yeah. I mean, here we are. I've been playing like oh, even though I'm a drummer. You know what I mean? I've been yeah. dabbling guitar for you know 15 years now, and I, I still can't even play a, a single song from start to finish. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's just incredible. It's in, yeah. insane that. What some musicians have the intelligence and that power in their head to just be able to do without it, without thinking, without mm. even thinking about it. Well, I don't know if you can see this on camera, but I've got the uh, Guitar World Dime uh, tribute behind Glenn there. here, yep. and I've also got the Dime replica guitar uh, that I picked up somewhere. The good old Dime Bolt as a tribute. Yeah, I almost brought. Before I got the the Schecter guitar, I almost brought a Dime Dean guitar because yeah. they were shipping a few to Australia. That's right. I saw that you could pre-order. Them. Yeah, and I thought oh, I saw fuck. that. It's like it was tempting for myself as yeah. well. Not that it, you know, as I said, not that I play guitar well, but it's just like I, just to have one, man. Mm. Just to have one of those razors or the yeah. or the lightning bolt or the uh, the, the oh, what was his other one, the Dime Slime. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, like they weren't that expensive, like you would expect. Yeah, it was only. They I think they be. were only about six sixteen hundred bucks yeah. or something. Yeah, you know, whereas like a slash, I think the the new slash four guitar, I think, is available. It's like five grand. It's wow. like oh, I'm looking at. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So uh, this love, I mean. It's got one of my favourite dime riffs in the middle of that song, like that sort of master. of Puppet Siri sort of riff. Are you, are you talking about the solo or? No, nah, but uh, the before the solo, I think it's after the second chorus, and it, it jumps into this this riff before it does that like bit. No more head tricks. <laughs> Just before that, it's like a bit of a master of puppetsy sort of riff. Um, yeah, yeah. It was like. It was like that was the breakdown before breakdowns mm. were a thing when you think about it. There's so much to this song. And um, uh, I, I wrote down a quote here that Phil said, I wanted to sing the truth as ugly as it was a lot of the time. He said, um, in songs like Hollow and This Love, I wrote about losing people and I've had healthy, healthy doses of it from early in life. Um Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, had a few friends commit suicide. So I think this sort of tied in with with Hollow, you know, basically about losing people. Um, so something like This Love is not a specific song about any one of them. It's a collective. I think even then when I was writing it in 1992, I think that people were going to take the lyrics and make them their own. I tried to... Like we were talking about before with interpretation. I tried to make it a heart-throtting gut-wrencher for everyone to relate to. Yeah. So, you know, you make it your own, and um, he obviously wrote it from a point of view, but not everyone's going to relate to that, but they can hear, you know, the emotion and what he's singing about. And um, 
Guitar World ranked this song as number five on their top 25 list of Pantera songs. Wow. That's... And the video was directed by Kevin Kerslake. So, um, yeah. Pretty, it's pretty it's pretty good film. I remember that one. Yeah. As, as you said, the video before, the video really taps onto sort of like prostitution and, yeah. and you know, I guess you see it. I, I know, not from first-hand experience, but a, a mate of mine years ago sold his house. He went through a divorce and sold his house and stuff, and uh, he, he, all the money he got from it, he ended up going to a strip club every single night and spending this money to the point where he he honestly believed that this stripper was his girlfriend. Mm. And to be honest with you, man, she, she bled him dry. Mm. bled him dry to the point where he thought that she was his girlfriend and it just it was never the case, you know. Mm. She was always who she was and, you know, that's their job. Mm. And, uh, but, again, interpretation. Man, as I said, I interpreted mm. that as being a love song for my girlfriend, you know. Yeah, yeah. But each to their own, really, when you think about it. It's a big song though. Like, there's a lot of different lot parts to it, that. and even Dime Solo, like taking out the song, I reckon lots of bends and stuff yeah, in that. It's fucking brilliant, you know. It, it, there's a lot in that song, like in that. I think it's like six minutes or maybe a bit longer. Five. I think it was five minutes fifty. I think there's a lot in early. that, and it's probably one of the last songs that. Sort of Phil was singing like that. Yeah, I think. Well, that that and hollow. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I remember after the only time the next song you heard Phil really singing was Far Beyond Dream when they covered Planet Caravan. Oh yeah. But even then, his his vocals had so many effects. Yeah. Stretched on it, you know, they just really wanted to replicate, you know, Planet Caravan in in a, in a sense. And then Suicide Note Part one, 1 on 2. Oh, sorry, on... Um, Tranquil. Tranquil. Yeah. Uh, but it was almost uh, just like an intro sort of thing, really, wasn't it? You couldn't... Uh, you couldn't... Like, you can know... Yeah, it was a song, but it wasn't... It was more like a, just an an interlude to Suicide two. Note Part 2. Yeah. Because as we know, that was one of their darkest eras of their, of their life, you know? Yeah. I remember, you know, they didn't... Suicide noting it was inspired from Phil because he actually died from a heroin dose and, yeah. and actually got brought back to life. It was a good, yeah, because there's not a lot of information out there about that. And I remember seeing one interview with Phil again while I had a few drinks, so I can't remember who it was from, but he was pretty candid about things. And uh, oh, I'll have to look that up now because. Um, yeah, there's not not a lot out there about that period of time yeah. for for Phil especially because I think he was in the darkest because of his back pain, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, he had a lot of back pain. There was a lot of issues with Pantera because he wanted to branch off and do mm. stuff with Superjoint Ritual. Yeah, and it just it was it was almost the you know don't don't quote me on this, but it was almost like the the beginning of the end of Pantera yeah. around that time, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, I, I guess in a nutshell, we were lucky to even get a tour yeah. from Pantera at the time because, you know, that's when they were really having 
a lot of major issues and stuff, at, you know, once that album was released and stuff. And, you know, there was, I guess, a, a bit of unsurety whether they would even tour again. Yeah. But, um, you know, good for us. They pulled their shit together, man. They pulled their shit together and they, they ended up touring again. We got to see them again. Do you know if they toured in, uh, what was it, 96 for Tranquil? Like, did they tour Australia? Seven. We got them in 97. 97, yeah. 97 at the Glass House. Glass House. The Glass House. Yeah, right. Um, which is the, I remember that. That was another really good gig because, uh, again, like any Pantera gig, being a massive Pantera fan that I am, man, it's like every gig that I went to and I saw Pantera, I got there at 7, 7.30 in the morning and just lined up all day waiting mm. for the doors to open. And, you know, I remember at the Glasshouse gig halfway in the middle of the day, Big Val came out. Oh, Big Val. Big Val. Oh, he died, didn't he? Yeah, he was another one that was oh, killed uh, the same night that Dimebag oh, and Cat were killed, man. Yeah. Really? He was shot as well. So, oh, fuck. Um, yeah, he come out and had a good chat to us and stuff, man, and mm. I'll, I'll never forget that, you know what I mean? And if for th- those guys listening again, if you watch the Pantera videos, you, yeah. you you see a good 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 whole 10, 15 minutes of Big Val that they do, and he's yeah. he he was uh, he was uh, Pantera's bodyguard pretty yeah. much. He he um, was head of security for Pantera, so and uh, ultimately he um, paid with his life. Pro- trying to protect oh, them, so I remember that scene in the home videos. I don't remember which, you know, whether it was one, two, or three, or whatever they labeled them as. But uh, that cake eating contest, yes, we had to eat that whole cake, <laughs> and he went for it. Yeah, he gave it a good crack, and then uh, yeah, he was put it his way, he was hurting in the end. Whoa, big Val! <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they put him through hell. I, I tell you what, man. After after this chat today, I'm going to go home tonight. I'm, I'm going to watch these videos again. It's just it's insane. It's so they have these little spin off things yeah. in there, and you know, it's not just all about music for these videos. They'll, yeah. you know, they'll throw a video in every now and then, but it's more about just their antics and stuff. And it was yeah. just insane. You get cameos from Typo Negative and Skid Row and yeah, yeah, Metallica and yeah, you know, that- all their tours. That Kiss song that, um, I don't know who. Cat Scratch Fever. Yeah, most of the Skid Row band and Phil might have been, I don't know if Dime was out there, that they played like a Kiss song Yeah. Uh, on that tour. And that would have been the vulgar, you know, the vulgar well, era. Well, again, a lot of people wouldn't know this, but, you know, the the uh, the Abbots were massive fans of Kiss. They were like, yeah. that's who, who they idolised is Kiss and, you know, there's a massive thing on online about, oh, not online, but on the videos and that, where they actually got to meet, uh, you know, Gene Simmons and mm. and the whole Kiss band and stuff. And they, uh, they actually got their tattoos on them, so you actually yeah. see them getting the tattoos of Ace Frehley and stuff on their on their chest and their arms and back and yeah. massive. It's just it's amazing when you sit there and go, you know, we idolise Pantera, yeah, yeah, and then you look at those guys and they idolise Kiss, yeah. And it's like that's that's just amazing where people's music careers start off. Well, it's it always starts from idolizing someone else, you know, and that's why we're no different, really. And yep. I think it's in Dime Vision uh, that uh, Dime shows off these pickups in his guitar that that like smoking pickups, 
pretty sure it's Dime Vision, like Ace Freely had on his guitar. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. He, he jumps out of the bus, like the tour bus, and he's like got these smoking pickups. And uh, yeah, I think it was all, all due to Ace Freely. And um, at the end of the day, we're all just fanboys of someone else. That's aren't we? right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's but what he music is, man. It's what music is. He didn't sound like Kiss, you know, he took it. 20 levels above and uh yeah but you know at the end of the day kiss and eddie van halen i think randy rhodes as well yep, yep. randy were rhodes. his probably main influences and yep. um yeah definitely he just took it a bit further um so after uh what we're up to this love we've got rise rise no rise so you know it's not one of my favorites of no you know you know what it's like if they every band has one right when they write an album they've got a uh what do you call it a filler yeah and sometimes that's not fair to label it as that no it's not but compared to some of the other songs compared yeah. to some of the other songs yeah. I, yeah a lot of people would see yeah. rise yeah. as a, as a filler but it, it's got a really good groove to it which is yeah. you know that's what Pantera's known for their, yeah. their groove metal it's like you know yeah. and the solo man like the solos kick ass yeah and even Phil Phil's vocals are really good on this song cuz yeah I was like I was listening to it in the last couple of days and I'm like, yeah, this is one of those filler songs. But then, you know, I'm listening a bit more. I'm like, oh, there's more to it than that. You know, it's not, yeah. not fair to label it as that, but compared to fucking hostile and a new level, oh. unfortunately it falls in that category, I think. Yeah. But it's still a good song. It, it, and look, to be honest with you, where they've put it in the album, it really fits well. Yeah. It really fits well. You know, it comes in after this love. You just had this epic, epic song, this power ballad sort of like with a chunky verse and, you know, this really hardcore breakdown at the end and and then, you know, Rise fits in there to just bring that bring that tempo back up sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it really it really it really fit well. It was a really good chorus, really good uh really good solo in it. Like I mean any solo yeah. you can't <laughs> what am I talking about? Shut up, Glenn. But you, you know what I mean? Any yeah. solo Dom does is is, yeah. is is a masterpiece. But then, you know, after Rise you get you get to uh what is it? Uh no gooder. Attack the Radical. Yeah. And that just comes in with Finney Paul's, you know, Tom's and Dimebag's guitar just going. It's like. And it's just this awesome, powerful riff. Yeah. And then it breaks down to sort of like a half time. I've trembled along that road that you think that you won't. You have that smart ass attitude. <laughs> it's time to stop the fiction. And it's a really, yeah. really good song because you're getting to hear Phil's, Phil's vocals yeah. and he's talking a lot in that song as well. It's yeah. almost like he's just talking rather than singing in, in that song. And I think I heard a lot of that later on in like Slipknot and stuff like that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Corey Taylor does a lot of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, Phil deserves big props like... Damn, yeah. yeah. He probably started as like a, a Rob Halford sort of singer, but he took it further than that. And, yep. uh, and yeah, that's what I love. In the towards the end, from like vulgar onwards, you you hear 
he feel, feel in his natural sort of like tone, his mm. natural, where he's the most comfortable, I would say. He's yeah. not he's not trying to emulate someone emulate else. anything yeah. or anyone else. He's just, he's Phil. And I think that's what makes any great singer great is they're just using their natural voice. They're not trying to emulate anyone. Like when you think of people like, let's say, I know you're not a big fan, but Eddie Vedder. Mm. Eddie Vedder has that, 90s tone, you know what I mean? Mm. You know, that big 90s sort of like uh, Darius Ruckus from Hootie and the Blowfish. They had that oh. that 90s sound, you know, just let her cry. And then Creed comes along. Yeah, you know what I mean? That, that sort of sound. Yeah. They're all trying to emulate a, a yeah. voice there. Yeah. But Phil never done that. Phil was nah. just like, fuck this shit. This is yeah. me. Yeah. You know, you go to a party and it'd be a dull party and shit, and you put some Pantera on, all of a sudden <laughs> it just becomes lively. <clears throat> well, you know, back in my 20s. Uh, a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd just get together naturally every weekend and um, and have a drink, you know. If, if we didn't have a gig or something, we'd, we'd get together. And um, towards the end of the night, you'd gravitate to the, the TV and chuck on the Pantera videos. Like, you just... It's what, it's what you did, wasn't it? It's it? what it was you like, did. It was, it's just... Or Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chappelle show. Yeah. Um, or both, <laughs> you know. But the Pantera videos just always hit the mark. And... Uh, I, I guess when, when you say that, one of the good things about putting on the videos is... You get the... You get the whole... You get the whole thing of Pantera. You get the whole thing. You know what I mean? You get to listen to Pantera because they're obviously playing music throughout the whole videos and stuff like that. But then, you know, you're seeing all the antics of Pantera and, and it just it just works. So if you were, to, you know, sitting there having a party and stuff and it started getting dull, mm. let's just chuck the videos on or we'll chuck on a Pantera album and all yeah. of a sudden your party just started going Again, and we're going to keep referencing these guys. Went to a new level. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it did. Yeah, it was the perfect thing to to chuck on, and then it branched out into different things. But it usually probably started with Pantera. Yeah, yeah, all, always, man. It was like, yeah, you know, it was just. I just, I, I can't believe it, man. You sit there and you're thinking, it's like Pantera were that beginning of a new era of music. They really were. You know what I mean? Metallica started started getting hate for the Black Album because yeah. they went commercial. Even from the Pantera guys, actually. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah. From Vinny, I think, said something about it, yeah. And then you get Pantera going the opposite end and bringing out this raw yeah. crunchiness of a band just <clears throat> no one had ever heard of before. And a lot of, you know, I remember in the video that I was watching the other day of them saying people like, Judas Priest and that we're going, mm. who are these Pantera guys? <laughs> what are they doing? Because this yeah. is a whole new, uh, it's a new breed of of metal. Yeah. That's uh, a new breed. Well, I read, uh, I can't remember if it, if it was the Tommy Lee book or the, the Dirt, the Tommy Lee chapter, but he said like after Dr. Feelgood, like, and, and Dr. Feelgood in 89, that inspired Metallica for the Black Album. Yep. In terms of, I think, guitar tone and a few other things. So, 
you know, and Tommy's like, you know, all these fucking heavy bands are coming out, like Pantera, and they're coming out with this heavy shit, and we wanted to get into that. And that's why they sort of got rid of Vince, I think, for that brief period Vince and brought Neil, in yeah. John Karabi, and they sounded a bit heavier, and they, they released that Motley Crue self-titled album with uh, John Karabi in 1994, which was... Which was different to Mot- the usual Motley-sounding album, and I guess it was a bit heavier. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Tommy had recognised that, you know, new bands like Pantera were coming out. and um, yeah, yeah, you had to adapt and change. Or, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of bands recognise that too because you had your hair metal in the 80s and stuff, and, you know... I mean, you get your few bands that were able to survive through that era, such yeah. as Judas Priest, mm. because they were such a huge band that they could keep going along with that. But a lot of bands didn't survive that 80s hair nah. stuff as well. You know what I mean? That hair metal. And it was probably a lot of the the copycat bands, like I was saying before, like with the with the lead guitarist that sort of sounded like Eddie Van Halen or yeah. or something like that, you know. One, one of the, I remember in grade five or six I was in and, and uh, at my school, um, you were either a Poison fan <laughs> or you were a Motley Crue fan. Mm. But because of the way society, the way that politics worked at school, you couldn't be both. Mm. You're either a Poison fan or you're a Motley Crue fan. For me, yeah. I was a Poison fan. Oh, really? I was a Poison mm. fan. I loved Poison. Now, I guess that's one of the things that got me into metal as well. Yeah. And, you know, I to this day, I still love Poison. Don't get me wrong. They had some amazing albums, Flesh and yeah. Blood and Open Up and Say Ah. And that was some great albums, but I think, you know, in hindsight, you know, Poison didn't do much after Flesh and Blood. I think they might have released one album after that. I don't know. I don't even know, to be yeah. honest, because I moved on so quickly. Yeah, they became irrelevant pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, really, really quickly, because yeah. that's what I was saying about how hair metal bands just sort of yeah. died out really quickly. Yeah. And Motley Crue, I guess, sort of like, went to that next level sort of thing, but kept their, their – they were able to keep that image still, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Feelgood was their biggest album. Yeah. And still to this day, and that was like a 1989 album. But somehow they've sort of uh, kept themselves above most other glam rock bands. Yep, yep most and, uh, definitely. And man. I think they were a bit above that anyway. Like, they were in that region, but they were a little bit more than like a Warrant or a Poison or something yeah. like that. I mean, you listen to uh, Generation Swine that came out in 95 or 96. I was just listening that to was your fucking great album. last podcast where you briefly spoke about that album. Oh, ah, yeah. That was a great album, and it's relatively unknown. And funnily enough, I think it was my first Motley album that I brought. Yeah, yeah, you were saying that it was your first one that you bought. Yeah, I, I had uh, Dr. Feelgood on tape. I borrowed it from a friend. That's right, people. Cassettes did exist. <laughs> Cassette tape. <laughs> and um, oh, the timeline's a bit funny, but for some reason I'd gone out and uh, somehow I got Generation Swine. And uh, 
that's still a great sounding album to this day, yeah. you know. And I think John Karabi was meant to sing on it, but I, somewhere in there they got Vince back and yeah, he sang on it. Yep, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, Motley Band, it's just, uh, uh, don't get me wrong, I remember, I remember we, we went on a school hike one day and all the grade fives and sixes were all walking in a line together. And we're all singing Doctor Feelgood as we were walking, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just remember remember it. It was it was amazing. We were singing that. We were singing Poison by yeah. Alice Cooper. And I, I remember that day like it was yesterday. It was such a, a really great day. Oh. And it's just that's the power of, <laughs> of 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 some songs. You know what I mean? They stick to you like it was like they come out yesterday. And that's that's this album towards hey man. It's like it's an album you can always fall back on. Well, when you were talking about Poison earlier, it made me think back to my time when I first discovered Alice Cooper, Poison, the video. But at that time, I had like a a cassette tape player, like a double deck thing, and it was yellow. The boom box? Did you have the boom box? I don't know if it was a boom box. The Sanyo boom box or Sony? I don't know, but it was like a double cassette thing. It was yellow, and um, I think I had the cassette for for poison and i was i was obsessed with that song and then i sort of rediscovered it years later again and i'm like oh fuck it took me straight back to that time for the little part i remembered poison had some Mm. exceptional songs man they really did i mean Nah, Poison, sorry, Poison, the Alice Cooper song oh uh, yes yes yeah but i got into poison yeah yeah the band later um yep but uh all, all that stuff, like it doesn't, you know, we don't need to compare it to each. No, no, each not and the at other. All, like it's all part of a beautiful period of time. That, that's exactly, you know, yeah. I, again, mate, we are so lucky we were yeah. alive during this period of time. You know, it's funny, you know, if you if you ever have kids down the track and stuff, and then you have grandkids, and you're going to be like, oh, Motley Crue, that's grandpa music, or you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like you hear Nickelback these days, and, and yeah. Lincoln Park being referred to as dad rock. Well, see, a lot of that shit's on Gold One Hundred Four now. Yeah, and I for heard. Anyone listening overseas, that's like the uh, well, it's called Gold One Hundred Four. You know, so that's the old stuff, and like Nirvana's on there, Bon Jovi. I heard uh, Limp Biscuit on there. No shit. And I was just like. Okay, I know I'm old now. Because yeah. I remember back in the day when my dad used to listen, it was like Gold 104, the best <laughs> of the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And it's like, and now they're playing like 80s and 90s yeah. on there. Yeah. I was like, wow. Oh, man. man. That's scary. Well, you know, I recently did a, a meatloaf tribute episode. Yes. And, um, I had to listen to that one too. Oh, yeah. You know, like. Even that stuff, like that's that's classic, and um, I remember being a young teenager waking up to uh, uh, what was that song? Uh, I'd do anything for love. Yes. And the video, when video hits, you know, like the first thing I do when I wake up is flick on the TV, and uh, it'd be video hits on a weekend. Oh, you, if you were lucky, you'd get up at six and watch Rage, the top ten of Rage yeah. at six o'clock. Wasn't very often, but and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, because it was a weekend. And, yeah. then, and then after Rage, at seven o'clock, video hits. Mm. And, you know, number one for a while there was I'd Do Anything for Love. And, that's right, uh, yep. Again, listening to that song, it took me back to that, and that's the beautiful thing about... Um, Music and videos, I guess, and um, they're great. 
videos have always been great promotional tools, mm. I believe. Uh, it's just unfortunate that videos cost so much to make, yeah. but they are really great promotional tools because, help, uh, you know, again, with that interpretation, it helps people. The visual. The vi- give you yeah. the visual of the song and the power of, uh, yeah. of the songs. I mean, you, th- you think of, you know, one of the most weird and tripped out videos that I can ever think of. Black Hole Sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 video of that was just like, this is some weird ass video. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I always remember the knife in that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's probably one of their best videos. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the biggest songs. So whether that's uh, you know, ties together or not, I don't yeah. know. But it was yeah, it was a great video and it was a classic. But look, coming coming back to Pantera and yeah. stuff, man, it's like I know we went off on a tangent and stuff there, but Pantera have had some exceptional videos yep. too. When you think of like, you know, Cemetery Gates, yep. Mouth for War, a new level, mm-hmm. even Walk had a video which was just a, a live video, but it was yeah. still a video. We really grabbed and I always remember it the, the, the you know at the end of the solo there, and it comes back into the. Wee! And it's just Phil just standing in this like this green limelight mm. sort of thing, and it's just it's a really really powerful uh, video, you know. And they're just great great tools for for bands to have these days. So I, I always still re- recommend any band to to um, have a video. I I, I used to I done the percussion and played percussion in a band called uh, Soul Dusk, which are out still at the moment and they are a, a black metal folk band and um I recorded on on uh their album and we did a promo video for one of the songs and now I'm not in that video clip at all um but it just really it speaks to you. The video clip just really, it's really witchy and really witchcrafty and stuff like that. And it just really, really spoke words without saying anything, if mm. that makes sense. So again, just videos, if you never get a chance to just sit there and watch videos, guys, it's, it's another amazing tool. If you ever really want to get into a band, just watch videos, get into them. And, and um, if, if, if even B, stuff the videos, go and watch them play live. Yeah. If you can watch a, someone play live, you know, it, it doesn't take much these days, you know what I mean? You get some guys that will be playing live for nearly 20 years and they get nowhere and they, they mm. still love it and they still pour their heart and soul into it. And then you'll get some people. So I remember playing a gig years ago with uh, Tash Sultana mm. at Grumpy's. Mm-hmm. And and this was with Yuli. I, I was there Yuli. too, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah, I'm Didn't pretty I sure play you were that? there. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure you were there. We played with Tash Sultana. Yeah. Can you imagine sharing a stage with yeah. Tash Sultana now? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 remember I remember saying that. that night. Yeah. I'm like, this chick is amazing. She's yeah. going to go places. Yeah. And and look where she is today. She, you know, a couple of years ago, she got number one on Triple J's Hot 100, you know, mm. Top 100. So it, it's amazing. You ever get a chance to go and see live music, guys? Go and do it. And let's be honest, Australia needs it more than ever right now. Yeah. We really do need it more more than ever. You need to understand people have honed their crafts. They've put their heart and soul into playing music. And, you know, because of this whole COVID scenario, it's just been 
ripped out from underneath them. It's mm. it's really unfortunate. So if you know if you want a future with live music, the best thing you can do now is go out and just see a live band, whether it's a cover band, an original band, a solo artist, whatever. Just go out there, go and buy a ticket to a live show. Buy some, you know, merchandise. Buy their album. Even if you don't buy their album, stream it. Streaming is becoming a huge thing now. You know, back in the day, everyone was like, "Oh, we don't earn money from streaming," but and it's true, you might not earn much from streaming, but you'd you'd know this yourself, Craig. It's it's all about how many clicks you're getting now. You know what mm. I mean? And the more clicks you're getting, the better it is for the artist. Still, they're still getting their name here, but the best thing you can do is go and see them, go and buy their merchandise. That's the best thing you can do if you really want to support a local artist. Yep, agreed. And, uh, you know, I played my first live gig last night for mm. probably since six, maybe eight months ago. And, uh, you know, because of all mate. this. Yeah, I was pretty rusty. And, um, you know, I. That sounds like a song title, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit of rusty. I'm a little bit rusty. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was. I had to kick myself to actually realize that I was standing in front of a microphone with people watching, and it was. Uh, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty weird, and you know, generally I'm a pretty shy person, so I have to play regular gigs to shake that. Uh, anxiety off um and last night i felt it you know almost a hundred percent and uh it was just purely the fact that i haven't played live gigs for a while and um well you know they say man most uh most regular people would say <laughs> it's hard but any streetwise son of a bitch knows, <laughs> don't fuck with this. Yes. Have we done that song yet? What are we up to? Oh, well, I think we touched on it before. Uh, um, no good. Attack the Radical, uh, which is a brilliant track, guys. It's a, it's a really, it's a really great song. Um, it's got a really fat sort of uh, really awesome riff at the start. And, uh, you know, Phil's vocals in that are just unbelievable and, you know, has a nice, again, nice little breakdown towards the towards the sort of like three quarters of the way through and then it just kicks back into it again and really, really good, good lyrics to it as well. Uh, but then, um, I mean... I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't call that song a filler. It was just a. It's one of. Uh, if that song wasn't on there, uh, vulgar wouldn't be vulgar without that song. I reckon. It. It. They've put it. I don't. I, don't, I honestly don't say this lightly, man. The way they've structured the 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 track listing on this just works. It really just works. Yeah. Um. So Actually, you know, you know what I just stuffed up, man, because I yeah. was talking about regular people then. Yeah. Not no good attack the radical. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get a few of those songs mixed up in the middle there too. Uh, and yeah. I, and I think regular people has got one of my favorite riffs. But yeah, I get a few of those in the middle there mixed up too for some reason. So Yeah, but no, no good. Still a really good song, though. It's, a, it's a, yeah. Again, it's not a fill up, but and and I do actually stand by it when I say that if that song wasn't on there, it wouldn't be a Pantera album. I think that's uh, that's one of the songs that I was sort of talking about earlier with 
uh, Rex holding down the, the rhythm behind the solo. Yep. Yes, definitely. And there's actually a few on this album, but that's like, one yeah, I the noticed. next song, Live in a Hole. Yeah. You know, you've got Rex's bass line in that, but then you also have Dime doing all these pinch harmonics and the yeah. slow bends. <laughs> now, most bands would track a rhythm guitar behind that solo, I think, mm. but I don't know what the reason was why they didn't do it. I think it's effective that they didn't, but maybe it was because they don't have a, a second guitarist live. So Which, that's what made Pantera Pantera mm. too is they did they didn't need it, man. They just had yeah. Rex's bass and Dime's guitar, and that was enough. Yeah, I mean Dime's guitar is busy as hell. Like he's not he's not fucking around. But no, not at all. But Rex definitely holds it down. So does Vince. So yep. I reckon that sounds really heavy when it's just a bass behind a solo. Um, Live in a hole, but stay close to my mind Cause they don't understand what burns in my mind And the lyrics for that song uh, Discusses the struggles of individuals overcoming social anxiety Which uh, They choose to isolate themselves because The only answer is uh, I can't read properly now Fucked me up. But yeah, you're right. It's all it's all about it's all about people <laughs> yeah. dealing with uh you know being an introvert pretty much. And, yeah. My and fear they... grips the will of stone. My grip fears, fears I will die alone. Yes, yes, thank you. Yep, yep. And that's a powerful lyrics from Phil. That's one of the things Phil was really known for. Yeah. Such a short sentence, but so powerful in in what he's saying and when when you think of that i mean i'm one of those people i'm I'm not an introvert but i'm not an extrovert either Mm. and it's like it really depends on people's moods and that sort of thing depends on the other person yeah yeah Yeah. it really does i I, i'm one of those people that i tend to feed off what the other person is given to me, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. when I first come and shook your hand tonight, when I walked in the door and stuff, you know, I was I was pretty quiet on that because you know I hadn't seen you for over three years now, mm. and people can change over that sort of time. So you sort of learn and you gauge what that sort of other person's like, and uh, and that's what I know. I've changed, probably changed a lot since yeah. you've last known me. I was you know I was out of control when you probably last seen me and. You know, and I've mellowed out over the years and stuff, but that's just what we do is we, we mirror people. We mirror people. Yes. And, and uh, again, that's what that song is really, yeah. really good about. It's like it's one of the things with a lot of lyrics compared to lyrics that are pulled out these days from some of the people. It's like we can really connect with lyrics back in the day and, and really make them our own, and we really feel something with those lyrics, you know. Some of the lyrics, like Live in a Hole, it's one of those songs where, depending who you are as a person, you could potentially strike a nerve with you, if that makes sense, and really really hit that that nerve in you and, and, and really trigger you. You know, it really depends, or it could be walk, or it could be mouth for war. It really depends on what you're feeling and what mm. you've gone through at life. And then you hear like Phil and that talk about this shit like thirty years later, and that also affects your perception of what they are as well. And I think Phil, for me, like he's really in tune 
with himself, which helps me because sometimes I feel like I'm so fucking out of tune with myself. Yep. Yep. Um, I appreciate and look up to him that he's so connected with himself and he he knows who he is and that sort of thing. Not that I don't know who I am, but I tend to Well I, I think I, I think I know what you're saying, man. Yeah. I think we all lose that we all go through that stage in life where we we start to debate ourselves and we start to second guess ourselves of who we are as a person. And in saying that we sort of start to look up to other people to be like, okay, so I want to be where, where Phil's at. I want to be there. Or you might, it might not even be a singer from a band. It could be a parent. It could be a higher power of some sort where you go, I want to be at this level. But in, in a nutshell, we all, you know, we grow and we, we decline as well. And we just hit different levels in our lives that we need to take a step back sometimes and try and find ourselves. Is that sort of hitting a nail or where you're trying to come across there? Yeah, and I think it also, what you said about mirroring ourselves to someone else, like I wouldn't be able to just sit here with anyone and how long have we been going? Yeah, a couple of hours. Over two hours now, I wouldn't be able to do this with just anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, to me... That means uh, I'm a big, big fan of you, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I love mate, well, you. You know, I've always <laughs> been a fan of you and your work as well, mate. Always yeah. been a fan of it. So you know, but you know, if you met Phil, Phil is going to be Phil. The same with probably Axel Rose. You know, you, people you like that. What, you get what you get. You get they're what not, not going to. They're not going to pussyfoot around no. to. to uh, they're not going to mirror you. You're going to mirror them, if anything. Yeah. And I don't purposely mirror anyone, but at the same time, because you're such a legend, I find it easier to be open and, and stuff like that. If I thought you were a dick, well, this probably would have been you, over you, an you, hour and you, a half yeah, ago. You shut down a little yeah. bit if, if yeah. you don't connect with someone, yeah. in, a, in a nutshell. Doesn't mean I'm going to call you a dick, but... In my mind, you're a dick, and yeah. uh, this is shit's over. Get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But we're still here, like almost two and two a half hours, hours in. <laughs> I love and, uh, you, man. And people are like, when is this episode gonna fucking end? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there'll, probably, there'll probably be a bit of an edit with some stuff cut out of it, but you know, that's what it is, though, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's one of those times in our life where it really grabbed us. You know what I mean? It was a big part of our lives. The, yeah. the early nineties to the mid nineties yeah. was an, a, a massive, like people talk about the eighties all the time. Yeah. But for us, it was the nineties, man. Like I still have my Alice in Chains shirts. Yeah. I still got my Metallica shirts mm. and, and, and everything. I still got my white high tops that I used to wear and my, my flannelette shirt. It was a great time. It, it was insane, man. And I, I'm not going to let it go, man. I don't, I don't care. Nah. It, it was me, man. That was my era. That was my time. I love it. it. It was raw. It was powerful. It was us to a T. It let us be ourselves. It was at the time when, um, you know, back in those days, guys, if you tried to tell your parents that, hey, I don't want to join the family business, man, that shit would not fly at all. But it's it's when we started to get a voice in the early 90s and go, hey, I want to do what I want to do, and if you don't accept that or respect that, then I'm gonna, 
I'm going to part ways and I'm going to move on. Mm. And that's what, you know, that's what I see a lot of in the 90s, you know what I mean? A lot of people started shaping their, their own way and individualism started really becoming a thing in the 90s. We need a little bit more of that in the 2022. Most <laughs> definitely, Definitely, man. and uh, I'm trying to think. I, I don't actually remember what my first Pantera album was. My, my uh, I think my introduction was Far Beyond Driven. Yep. Brilliant, through, brilliant through my, album. Through my friend Pete. Yep. Uh, our first bass player of own kind. I think it was far beyond driven, and um, from there, I, I I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure I embraced it all very quickly, wholeheartedly. It's, it's not hard and to. It, was, it wasn't uh, hard. It was, was all it? over. Yep. What What do we got next on uh, Volga? Did we, did we touch our live in a hole? Mm. I think we touched on. I it. think we did. Yeah. Yeah, we touched on. So after that was regular people, which was yep. a brilliant song. Yeah, um, that that riff. That's a great people. riff. And then um, by Demons Be Driven. Be Driven. And you know what I love about this song? Mm. It's a weird time signature, yeah. but it was made into a commercial song because of the movie. Um, there was a movie and it had it in it. Oh, oh boy, that's going to kill me, man. Um, it was about the... It's about the Banks. It was all about the banks and stuff. Um, I think it was based on a true story. I had Brad Pitt in it, and yeah. and anyways, the, the well, part Wolf in it, of Wall Street or something. No, it wasn't Wolf of Wall no. Street. That was about uh, thingy. But anyway, uh, there was a, a cutaway scene sort of thing where um, uh, Christian, uh, what's his name, Christian Bateman, Slater. No, not Christian Slater. Christian, oh, uh, the Who, Batman guy. Yeah, Batman dude. What's oh, his name? Fuck. Christian, Christian someone. <laughs> but anyway, he's sitting there. Oh, fuck, what's his name? Yeah, I oh, know, it's going to kill me, man. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. there's a scene, cutaway scene where he's he's sitting behind, you know, he's a high-end banker, yeah. you know what I mean, earning thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and there's this breakaway scene where he's <laughs> sitting behind a drum drum kit and and by demons be driven comes into it and it's like really? Wee! <laughs> wow. it's like symbols coming like, and it, it goes for about two minutes this scene. Really? And it's like I just at the time because this was like a mid two thousands movie, and I'm like, oh. I can't believe that that song. This is commercialized. Boy, yeah, mm. this is commercialized Pantera in a high budget Hollywood movie. What the fuck is his name? Oh, dude. Sorry, I'm sorry, guys. I've, I've, That's gonna drive I've me to, nuts. I've got to Google this. I can this. see his face, Christian. Ah, uh, he was also in uh, <laughs> a million things. Uh, Christian Bale. Oh, Christian Bale. The fighter and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So it was Christian Bale and he was what, in... What was the movie? Ah. Uh, well, you got on. your phone there. Sorry, well, I've got my phone here. Yeah. Oh, the video died. Don't stress, man. Don't stress. Don't worry about the video. The video died, guys. The camera died. We're still here. Although the phone's still going. That's all right. That's okay. Christian Bale. Let me just look up really quickly because it was an amazing scene because it was like 
two minutes of him just I'm playing, reading, playing this song. Yeah. Acting credits. Have a look at his acting credits. Um. Oh, man. Oh, oh the I, great. No. I can't remember, man. I can't remember. It was about remember. the banking collapse. Yeah, it was it? about the banking collapse and, and the, the, the corruption big within. The big short. The big short. Yes, yes. that's it. <laughs> the big short was about the banking it's corruption and stuff like that. And he yeah. was in that. And a whole two-minute dialogue of him just playing by demons be driven by Pantera. And it's a great, great riff by Dimebag. You know, it's like. I don't remember that from the movie. This was one of my least favorite songs from the album. Yeah, but what's amazing is after they done uh, Far Beyond Driven, they released this uh, this little booklet, and they had a couple of um, edits of By Demons Be Driven and Walk and Stuff. I don't know if you remember those at all. No, I can't remember what it was called, but it was a very special. It was a little booklet. And I had the band copy of Far Beyond Driven on there with the the corkscrew going up the dude's ass, which was <laughs> which was banned here. It was banned here in Australia as well, and they had to change it to uh, the going through a skull rather than going up a dude's ass. So. Well, they've just released a, a comic thing of some sorts for Volga. 30th, yeah. like a, 30th a comic book or something. Yeah, I, I read that. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go, I, I reckon I'm going to go down to uh, one of the comic book joints yeah. tomorrow and and uh, try and find find myself a copy of that. Uh, let me know how you go. But uh, yeah, and, and then of course, obviously, uh, you know, after By Demons to be Driven, we had Hollow. Mm. Hollow is a real, that's a yeah. really, well, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this right now because it's a really raw, emotional song. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Hollow was actually made up of uh, two songs. So yeah. Hollow was the first the first part of the song. And uh, then the second part where it gets chunky and stuff was actually a song that they writ called, uh, from what I believe, called Janet. Mm. And they combined the two songs together to make the, the whole song Hollow. Mm, um, but anyway, it's about obviously you know if you listen to the lyrics, it's almost like one of Phil's mates or something that had gone into a deep coma and mm. was left in a comatose state, and he he sings about you know him not being you know he goes there talking to him and he he, he talks and talks but he can't hear him and and, mm. and and stuff like that and I guess. You know, the end of the song, I think Phil was saying a few weeks ago with his uh, interview with uh, Rex that Phil didn't want to end on a on a soft song mm. at all. So Phil was like, we've got to make this song heavy. We've got to chunk this up, and uh, which is where Janet come into it, and they just mm. added that, you know, he has Hollywood's eye alone, a struggler, you know, and, and that's where that part of the song come into it, and... Uh, really just what a crushing song to end yeah. an album with man like yeah. seriously i love that outro that's like that's a jam sort of an outro yeah. and uh I, you know i love hearing phil sing like that and i think it was the last time one of the last times we would hear phil sing like that that's in, right that's exactly right man you, you know i don't think he 
they did a ballot on oh, besides Suicide Note Part One. Yeah, there we, wasn't really a ballot on on the next two albums like no. Reinventing the Steel. Everything the just got heavier and heavier, and yeah. you no. know whether he couldn't do it or he just didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, but the outro, I love that whole song, but the outro, the groove of it, just the way they jam it out till the end. It's, and it's, I think it just fades out, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah, it fades but they out, just which keep going. Just, it's a real guys. It really is a a brilliant album. As you know, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you take over, man, because you know this is a fog display of power. This is your podcast, man. But <laughs> man, I, I I could talk shit about this fucking forever, man. But it, it's it's an amazing album, and. You know, it's it's one of my all time favorites. You know, it's one of you know. If anyone ever says to you, "What's one album if you were stuck on a deserted island with?" What could you listen to? And it's like, this would be one of those albums for me. Yeah, well, I think this was a good way to finish the the album, and it was actually the fourth single off the album. Uh, hang on, it was, there was four singles released off the album, and this was the third. Hollow, yeah, Hollow. But I don't think it really. It didn't. Charted. It didn't. Ch- it, yeah, it didn't really make leeway. It didn't break nah. through really. No. Nah. Um, and I, I guess they only released it because they thought because it was a, a bit of a power ballad sort of yeah. thing that that might gain traction, but it just it just never did. But um, I mean, for your true hard. You know, Pantera fans, it's a brilliant song and it's one that's going to stick with any Pantera fan. Yeah. And um, on the uh, the live album, they released official live 101 Proof. That there's, was a there's a medley. Album. There's a medley called Dom Hollow. Dom Hollow, and they yeah they finish yeah. with Domination, and then go straight into yeah. the arse end of of Hollow with yeah. the heavier, chunkier bit. So it's got like the solo, or the oh, would you say mosh part of uh, Domination yeah. into the solo, and then they go into uh, the outro of uh, of Hollow, and that's really cool too because um, you know. Uh, I think the outro of Hollow is what makes it, but I do I do love the whole the whole the song as a whole, and I yep. think it's a good way to finish the album. But um, the- we can't we can't <laughs> we can't finish yet because Piss. I don't know if a lot of people know, but there was actually a song that was removed from the album, mm. and uh, after when when was that released? I can't remember. Piss. I think it was the twenty fifth. Anniversary of twentieth, twentieth was it? Yeah, and they released the song "Piss," yeah, which was a, a song that they were meant to record for Vulgar, but they actually removed it uh, mm. from there, and they re-released Vulgar with "Piss" on it uh, yeah. for the twentieth anniversary, yeah. and that's a great song. It's like, and you listen mm. to it, and it's like. Holy shit! This is just Pantera through and through. And I think for the video, they they uh, got requested all the fans yeah. and fans and yep. and and everything, everyone to come in and yep. and just uh, I would have been great to have been a part of. <laughs> I remember, I remember watching that video, and I think, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, Dimebags, Mrs. Someone uh, Heaney. Oh fuck. I can't remember. Oh. She had a big. She had a big. A big part of the video as well. What's her name? Oh, oh dude, 
Killing my fucking I know, memory right? here. See what happens when you get old, man. You, you become Rita. Rita. Rita, Rita Heaney, that's yeah. it. Rita, she had a big <laughs> part of that video and stuff because she wanted to keep that Pantera legacy alive. Mm. And, and they really did it with Piss because when you hear that song, Piss, it's like, yeah, you can really hear how it was supposed to be a part of 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 the vulgar the vulgar album and but instead they you know they ended up taking a riff out of that and playing it on far beyond driven yeah and and then you know years later obviously they've re-released piss in its true form and you can hear that riff in there and you hear the song and you understand completely why it should have been a part of that that vulgar thing but obviously you know having your a&r managers and that said oh you know we might not be a fan of this song let's just leave this one off here and uh we'll save that for a back catalog yeah i mean they could have had 12 songs instead of 13 i don't don't think if they added an extra song to that it would have made much difference not at all to the album but um it must have been a reason for it. That's right. I was, I was about to say that they, you know, everyone has their reasons why yeah. they cut things from. Yeah. You know, look at as you said, Guns and Roses, Use Your Illusion One and Two. They had so much material there that yeah. they just thought it'd be better to uh, let's just do a double release at the same time. Yeah. I mean, you think about Metallica and how many songs they've written and yeah. how much material they've got sitting there that's never been released, and and uh, maybe one day we may be lucky enough to hear that. Yeah, well, um, I did have a copy of, uh, I remember I bought the 20th anniversary of Volga, but uh, when I went looking for it in the last couple of days for this episode, <laughs> I can't find it, so it's uh, it's gone missing. I lived with our housemate uh, a couple of years ago, and I uh, reckon he might have it. But anyway, yeah, that had piss on it, and um, I think it might have had a, a bonus DVD on it. With yeah, the with the video clip and stuff on there, and the, I think yeah, because when it was released, the, I was pretty sure they released them with uh, with bonus stuff and that. You remember the time when they were releasing CDs with uh, videos and stuff on there? I think it had the Monsters of Rock. Yeah, shit it was, on it was it as like well, a deluxe copy or something like that. I can't that. remember. But um, what an era, huh? Yeah, and before we go, like the uh, the album cover. Is um a photo of a man being punched in the face, and was it was shot by uh, a Brad Goose Geese. It's a bit of a. It's like G U I S E, like Juice Geiss. Yeah, yeah, Brad Geiss. Who also shot the photo for Cowboys from Hell, the the front cover for Cowboys. Um, the band told the label they wanted something. A bit more vulgar, like a dude getting punched. Uh, I think the original version showed like a, a boxing glove punching someone in the mm. face, um, but the band didn't like it. Uh, and they said, like, a popular rumor was that I think Vinnie Paul said the man, the original version, or the initial version was. Uh, 
a man got punched in the face like 30 times or something like that. Well, if, if I can just interject here, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. I remember back in the day, as I said, guys, we didn't have Google back in the days. <laughs> so we, everything was just referred to from, from rumors and things that people had read and, and heard back in the day. And that was one of the rumors is this guy had been punched in the face like 30 times trying to get the ultimate shot of him uh, getting punched in the face. Could you imagine that going through? Because you look at that photo, that's not like edited. It's not like someone's just put your fist in his face and we'll take a photo. This is like a full-on punch to yeah. the face. And as, as I said, as the as the, uh, the album title suggests, it's just a vulgar display of power. <laughs> and, and, it's, it's, and you know what? Like, Craig, seriously, man, that that's what the album is, man. This whole, entire album yeah. is just one massive, vulgar display of power from Pantera. Yeah. Well, the photographer said whoever the model was was never actually hit. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Everything was all all, uh, yeah. all hearsay back in the day. Yeah. It was all, you know, no Google there to, or you couldn't call anyone to verify information. So you, you just take what you heard as a, as a um, as what it was, as fact. So there was a few, a few rumors floating around, but um, either way, it's a, it's a great cover. It's a great album. And uh, we're very grateful to uh, have grown up with this album. Definitely. No matter what, I can't remember when I got into this album. It might have been 10 years after. No, it would have been sooner than that because I saw Pantera in 2001. So Definitely before that. It would have been before that. Yeah. Yeah. Might have been when when, uh, Trend Kill come out, I reckon. Yeah. Like, you know, I started playing guitar. Probably 1995 and, you know, reading the Guitar World mags and that sort of thing. Like, Dimebag was always in that shit. So oh, um, That's all. I remember, yeah. Yeah, as I said, listening, reading those hot metal magazines and stuff yeah. like that. That's all you'd go in there for, waiting for Gosh for Pantera, what they're doing when the next album's coming out. Or, you know, what's Megadeth doing? Or, you know, I remember seeing stuff from Coverdale and... And, you know, you'd always get in there. I don't know if people remember this stuff, but you used to have a, oh, what was his name? I think it was Spud. There was a little comic in there from by a little dude called Spud who'd go to concerts <laughs> and stuff all the yeah. time. And oh, it was a great magazine. If you ever can pick up a copy somewhere, guys, have a look on eBay or that, but they were great magazines that, you know, you often see giant Metallica posters and that, with a, you know, it would half fill your walls and that. And... Every year they'd bring out their poster magazine, which was just you know had had like fifteen posters in it or whatever, and it was it was a brilliant. You know what it was? It was because it was Australian. Mm. It was an Australian magazine. It was just brilliant, and that's where you got all your gossip and all your info from. Do we still have shit like that these days? Like I know we like Kerrang and stuff. See Kerrang and Metal Hammer and that they're all UK based. On, mm. If I remember rightly. We don't really have much Australian stuff. I think most Australian stuff these days is all internet-based these days. Um, but you need to understand, you know, to make a magazine like that cost, cost heaps. And, yeah. you know, back in the 90s, to run a magazine, you had all your editors and trying to interview people and putting an interview together and typing it all up. And it was just incredible work. And then I, I guess over the time, you know, 
people stop buying the magazines, you you have an expectation of how many people you expect to buy the magazine over the years, and if that starts declining, then I guess you know uh, out warrants the reason for making the magazine, which is why I guess it dropped off in the end. And mm. like many magazines, if you know what I mean, but when you talk about web based magazines, it's it's a lot easier these days. You know, you just need yeah. a couple of uh. Um, you know, paragraphs and stuff, and a photo to put there, and you you've got an article there, right mm. there and then. So, but um, but yeah, it's just it's that's how you know back in the nineties, that's how we got in our information. That's how we know that Pantera was touring. That's how we knew that mm. Pantera was releasing a new album or what Phil was doing in his time, you know, that he was breaking away from Pantera and trying to tee up with, you know, do something with super joint ritual and, and stuff like that. We didn't have the marvel of the internet back then, which is mm. really unfortunate at the time, I suppose, but that's, that's all we had. And, and we lived and breathed through those magazines. And, you know, I guess when you think of Guns N' Roses and uh, what song was it where it's like, where they're giving crap to uh, all your magazines and stuff. Get in the ring. Yeah, get in the ring. <laughs> that was all about the magazines and stuff because yeah. they would just, you know, talk shit about these bands without knowing the true facts about them and stuff because it was all hearsay, and I get that, but that's how people would get their information and there wasn't anything else available at the time, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it made you hungrier for that information because it wasn't at your fingertips. That exactly right. I mean, you know, you had we to were, wait for it. We were lucky enough today to be able to go. Oh, what, yeah. what, what, what was that name? And uh, we could, we could Google it and uh, go. Oh, that was it. Uh, but we didn't have that opportunity back then. Yeah. Well, well vulgar display of power, dude. Vulgar display of power. That's what we're here for today. 30th anniversary man that's that's quite an album it was a legendary album it's it's gonna go it's gonna be one of those albums that will outlive its time i i I truly believe that i think you know our kids 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 our great great grandchildren will be like if they get into like rock music or heavy metal it's um you know they're gonna be like pantera they changed. They changed the way of heavy metal for us and for generations to come. But this was only the start. The start, man. You know, from there you had Far Beyond Driven. You had the Great Southern Tranquil, and you had Reinventing the Steel, which you know it was a different time then. But this was just a start. So let's leave it there. Craig, thank you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. So good to catch up with you again, brother. I, Fucking I appreciate it, man. Uh, it's great to talk shit about Pantera to someone who has that that same, uh, you know, mentality as myself for the band, man. And and they really were a a great band. And we are so lucky to be in a time where these guys actually existed, and so lucky to have seen Dimebag play live on stage and seen Vinnie Paul play live on stage, and mm. and I can't express that enough, man. We are truly 
incredible, lucky human beings for being in a time when this band existed. Yep, I agree. And, um, you know, I pick up the guitar every day and I watch different guitarists every day and uh, listen to. And uh, Dimebag is just, I'm sorry, but he's just above most. He he really did, man. To and me, he just he flies high above anyone. As I said, yeah. man, you know, put all your big guitarists there, Steve Vai and all yeah. those guys, man. And but he flies so much higher yeah. because of his tone. He had that raw originality about his sound, man. And and no one can do that. I haven't seen. I'm yet to see a guy reach his uh, another guitarist reach his level slash can almost reach his level through yeah. his uh, originality. But when you, as I said, when you think about Steve, I Ningwei Marmstein and, and all those guys, they were just guitar players, man. And I'm sorry, but that's just my opinion. That's my personal opinion. They were just yeah. guitar players and they didn't have that originality about them. They didn't have that raw sound. They didn't have that unique sound that Dimebag had. Yeah, each to their own. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's, it's not sure. to take anyone or I, take anything away from Ingwai or, or Steve or Slash. As I said, man, that's that's my yeah. personal opinion. No, I agree, man. Like uh, a dime, like you know, like Ingwai and Steve Vai, like they they did instrumentals, like they weren't. Your traditional sort of songs, yeah, yeah. But like Dime put these into songs with vocals, you know, like radio sort of songs. And uh, you know, I love Slash. Like Slash always inspires me to play guitar, and uh, he's up there for me. But um, Dime is just on a different level, and maybe it's just something you can't explain. You know? Until you hear him, yeah. see him play, Watch guys, him. You, you, you'll never, you'll never truly get a, a yeah. grasp of what Dime was truly about. Yeah, he, he was just. As I said, guys, listen to this album. Listen to this album. Yeah. Watch the videos. Only then will you understand what Dime was about. Yeah, and, and I think only then will you understand, and you will get a, a an understanding of what Dime was about and who he truly was yeah. as and a person. And it's not to take anything away from, you know, all the great guitarists, but, uh, you know, and uh, I, I read a quote somewhere, I can't quote it exactly, but Dime had the the same sort of scary speed as like an Ingwe Malmsteen. But um, and you can hear that in just some of the yeah. songs he plays. Like if you hear a new level yeah. in that side where he's just like for like two minutes flat almost. Try and just play that, that shit, and you'll fucking get it. <laughs> I guarantee you're gonna have yeah. sore fingers, guys. Like yeah. you can put your calluses to side. Yeah. Like to be honest, it's like you need the calluses and the speed to be able to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's not many guys at that level. Like there's Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, there's so, so many good guitarists, man. Yeah. We, like, let's be honest, right? And I'm going to say this quite frankly. We live in a time right now from the 70s up until today is a great time to be alive. Mm-hmm. We have had some of the most influential guitarists of our yeah. lifetimes 
you go and have a look at your top 100 guitarists mm. and have a look how many of them are still in our top 100 now and how many are still alive now and how many have passed, we are so lucky. Yeah. So, so lucky. But in saying that, man, let's just talk about guitar for two seconds if I can, right? How long has guitar been around for? Well, 50s, I mean, I mean, there was stuff before that, like, you know. Yeah, for sure. Like, obviously, guitar guitar was in, um, I'm ge- I, I don't know, I'm not a guitarist, but I'm yeah. guessing the guitar was invented in the 1800s at some point or the 1700s or 1800s. So it's only a small amount of time, and you think of where guitar has taken us to this point today, you know what I mean? You can't hear a band much these days that, doesn't have a guitar in it, yeah, and it's 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 quite amazing. Mm. You know, when you think of a, a a band, you think drums, you think bass, you think guitar, mm-hmm. and a vocalist. Yeah, but there's lots of things with bands where you think about bands consist of other instruments as well. Yeah, such as uh, let me talk, and you know, I'll say you can edit this shit. I don't mind, right? My band, my former band that I was in, Soldusk, right, I wasn't even a drummer in that band, right? Mm. I was a percussionist in that band. Mm. I remember when I recorded that album, the amount of percussion I put into that album was phenomenal. But you can't, you can, oh, clearly it's in there, but you can't necessarily hear it. But it actually... It's those little tiny little things that yeah. just fills. And you know this yourself by adding djembe and stuff in your previous albums and stuff like that. Those small little instruments actually help fill fill out albums and you don't necessarily hear them. Yeah. But they're there. Yeah. And it's those small instruments that make all the difference. Even if it is just one guitar, one guitar coming in with two or three notes mm. for an entire song. But that could be those two or three songs that make that entire song mm-hmm. what it is. Yep. Yep. It's part of the uh, art history of uh, recording. And, uh, yep. It's, uh, yeah, even though you might not hear it, the same as Rex's bass, like yeah, we were talking exactly, about. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, man. Rex's bass. You might not hear it like, straight up front, but it's, it's, it's there. fucking there. Uh, it's, it's there. You're the, going to hear it. And yeah. if, if Rex's bass wasn't there, man, it wouldn't be Pantera. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not going to be there. Yeah. And, oh, man, Rex's. Oh, did you ever read Rex's book? No. Rex he got a book. A, yeah, he bought out a book, man. Oh. And it's a brilliant book. And I'll, I'll be honest, man. I'll be honest. It's like you'll read the book and you'll be like, holy shit, because he mm. paints Pantera in a different light, dude. He actually uh, he? had a lot to say, man. He has a lot. To, I'm not going to spoil it, but he actually has a lot to say, Rex, because out of all of them, man, he was probably the most sober one out of out of yeah. all of them. And uh, he has a lot to say. And I remember when he released a book, Vinnie Paul actually had an issue with him mm. uh, for releasing the book because there's a lot of stuff in there that uh, Vinnie wasn't happy with him uh, mm. releasing. And that's a that's a that's an actual fact too, man. So like he went on record for saying that. Mm. But um, yeah, if you get a chance, have a have a have a read of uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's uh, Rex Brown's uh, book on Pantera. So really good yeah. book. Well, he he had a lot to say in that uh, interview that we were talking about with uh, Revolver. You know, he's obviously remembers a lot and. Um, 
yeah, he's pretty uh, interesting to listen to. And he played he played bass for Down. Yeah, with, for a, with Phil. He was yeah he was the original original bass player yeah. for Down, and uh, yeah. and then he decided he didn't want to do that anymore yeah. because it was causing problems with Pantera and stuff. Yeah, and uh, he just. Decided he wanted to stick with Pantera. I know he's done a few projects after Pantera. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's always going to be remembered for mm. Pantera Expert. And he's, he's a kick ass dude. And just watching him in that interview, it was like, it was quite amazing. Quite amazing to hear what he had to say mm. as, a, as, a, as an individual and as a, a major player in Pantera. Because, you know, Pantera, in, in, I guess you'll probably agree with this. When you think of Pantera, Pantera wasn't Phil. Pantera wasn't Dime, and it wasn't Vinny, and it wasn't Rex. Pantera was one of those bands where they really were a band as a whole. They worked together, and they just... I, I can't... Words can't even describe it. It was just insane. They just really worked together. You couldn't put it down to if if Phil wasn't in the band, then it wouldn't have been Pantera. If Dom wasn't in the band, it wouldn't have been Pantera. If Vinny wasn't in the band, it would have been Pantera. And if Rex wasn't in the band, it wouldn't have been Pantera. And I guess that's why we never saw any sort of uh, reunion or exactly. re revival or, you know, any sort of other version of the band. And as you were saying, man, there were so many talks about that in the 2000s was, about, yeah, you yeah. know, a re reunion show with yeah. with uh, Zach Wild yeah. playing guitar and stuff. But it, yeah. it, it's I'm sort of glad it never happened because now we just have – we got Pantera to listen to, man, and Pantera yeah. is is who we have today, and Pantera is and always will be Pantera, and nothing will ever, ever, ever mm. replicate that band. That's right. Well, rest in peace, Dime and Vinny. Thank you, Pantera. Long Thank live uh, Vulgar Display of Power, and long live Pantera, and we will see you for a... 30th anniversary of uh, Far Beyond Driven. Yes. Take care, guys. Have a good night. Thank you. You're feeling that drink, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I am, dude. I am. I didn't, I didn't think it hit me so hard. Playing that solo, and he does those slides where he's like... Bruh, 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 bruh.